Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Nightmare Alley, do da do da do da do Nightmare Alley, do da do da da do da do Nightmare Alley, do da do da do da do Nightmare Alley, do da do da da do Hey, what's going on? We are here. We're just going to launch right into it. We're here to talk about Nightmare Alley, uh, the new film from Guillermo del Toro, GDT. Probably said his first name wrong. That's what I do. Mispronounce names. That's how I roll. Um, I really, really wanted to do a whole show dedicated to this film. I know a lot of people have not seen it. I know this is niche beyond niche to do niche beyond niche to do this, to dedicate a stream to this film. But it's worth it in my heart. I don't care about catching trends or trying to chase trends or anything. I like to talk about things that I'm passionate about. This is a film that I feel very passionate about. And uh, I'm I'm very lucky and fortunate in that I was not the only one who ventured out to the theater to go and see Nightmare Alley. Um, a fellow cinephile by the name of Nathan Ludwig, who you will know as the festival director uh, mastermind behind the genre blast film festival. He's also a producer, the genre, 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 uh, genre blast first feature length film and anthology, uh, about uh, vacation horror, worst case scenario. Hope I said that right, as well as the uh, real 96 podcast, about of which I've been a guest on many times. We have great fun talking about movies from the year 1996. I'll tell you something. I find talking about an obscure movie from 1996 far more rewarding than talking about the new Spider-Man. Don't get me wrong. I love to wax poetic about the new Spider-Man, but there is nothing on earth like doing a deep dive on Jingle All the Way or Big Bully or Dunstan Checks In and somehow getting to a point where you're remaking Dunstan Checks In as Murders at the Room work. I mean, it's just... That's that's podcasting. That's the type of podcasting that I live for. So uh, so let me bring Nathan on, bring him out of the digital green room. Hello. What is going on, man? This is so good to be back again. Oh, yeah. We love having you on the channel, on the show. There's no name for this show. It's just the From His Channel. That's what it yeah. is. So we're just here talking the about him. show. The Jeff show. It used to be the Jeff show. And that, I mean, it still is the Jeff show, but I just stopped having, I was like, I don't have to call it the Jeff show. I just, everybody knows it's the Jeff show and that's it. Absolutely. You know, uh, and we're here every day. We'll, we'll be here through the rest of the year folks and probably into the new year and then into February, then into March, April, May, June, July, 30 days March. has September, April, April June, June and November. And November. Yeah. So um, no, we're talking about nightmare alley today and I guess let's do a little, uh, a very quick, uh, very quick little bit of history. Did not come prepared. We're shooting. I'm shooting from the hip. Uh, you don't have notes, do you? I don't have. I have brain notes. Yeah, I have brain notes, too. I so, saw it last night, so it's still fresh in my head. Perfect. Um, so Nightmare Alley is based on a novel. 
And I think it was written in the 20s, something like that. I'm sure a quick Wikipedia check would confirm that. I don't know off the top of my head. But um, it was written in the earliest 20th century, I believe. And in 1947, it was adapted into a film noir movie, or it's considered to be one of the great film noirs, uh, starring Tyrone Power. Yep. And you might be familiar with that name. And and it was a, a personal favorite film of Johnny Ramone, uh, guitarist and founding member and leader of the Ramones. He loved Nightmare Alley. Big, big fan of that film, as well as Freaks and all those others. And um, I had heard forever about this film. And I about two years ago, I finally sat down. I had had it uh, queued up for a long time and finally sat down uh, and watched it and absolutely loved it. I love being trans, uh, you know, uh, trans uh, transponded into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Transported into the world of. Of, of black and white film noir, I kind of made, I personally made my, my sole uh, feature length debut is a film. I would qualify it as a film noir or a Gothic noir maybe. And yeah. um, I, I love that. I love everything about it. I love that world. I love that, that sort of style. I love watching those films, not even for the plots, just to, just to sit in the shadows, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Um, and then, GDT, he remade this film with with you know the cast and and whatnot the the cast that he has and Magnum cast Willem Dafoe, Bradley Cooper, yada yada yada. He remade the film, but it's not no sorry he didn't remake the film. He adapted the film from the novel. Big difference. It's not a remake of 1947's Nightmare Alley. So I've talked enough. Nate, why don't you uh, why don't you pick up the slack there? What what are you what is your relationship with Nightmare Alley? So I saw the original Nightmare Alley from forty seven long time ago. It's been a while. I did not revisit it, um, just because I didn't have the time. So I, I feel like if we try to cover all both movies in the book on this show, we'll be here for hours. No, but, we uh, can't do it. Can't do it. But I have not read the book. Saw the original movie a long time ago, and I watched uh, Nightmare Alley, the new one tonight last night. Um, you know, I, I always like to say, oh, you know, you go to a late show and you get the theater to yourself. But it kind of sucks because you want that communal experience for certain films. And for this film, sure, certainly this, you know, if I'm going to see, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, Hitman or whatever, you know, just some some lame genre film, then then, yeah, I don't care if I have the theater to myself because I don't have to hear anybody talk. But this movie, you kind of want an audience to go on this journey because this man, this, this is like I, you said, it's a transporting film. It's a it's a gorgeous looking film and the performances suck you in right from the get go. Um, I love this film and I, I'm really disappointed that, I mean, this is GDT like, Oh yeah. You know, I mean, he doesn't open a film like Tarantino, but still this is GDT. He can still pull in numbers and this movie is not making any money whatsoever. And it's really sad. It made me like actually sad that people aren't going to see this movie. You know, everything got sucked into the vortex that is Spider-Man No Way Home, um, even the Matrix. And I think people should have steered clear of Spider-Man. <laughs> but, you know, I think people are dumping releases and trying to get them out in, in, in the in the year so they can make way for their, their calendar year for next year. But this is this was one of the casualties, along with the last duel, which I really enjoyed as well, that got shafted at the box office, too. Um, didn't see House of Gucci, but I did see Last Duel, and I love that movie too. Um, yeah, it's very frustrating. You know, you you imagine that this film would have come out. This is the perfect like January February release. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things slow down and then you use, I mean, this is, you, you, if you put GDT in like the January, February, maybe even March slot, like the, the first quarter slot, he's going to dominate. He's going to mm-hmm. dominate people. As you said, it was, I think uh, Tarantino was a good comparison there. People go to a GT, G, a GDT movie because it's GDT. Uh, sure. They might go. They're not going to this film because it's Bradley Cooper. They're going because it's GDT doing an adaptation nightmare alley. And um, yeah, it would be crazy to go through. We can't compare and contrast. It's just, there would be too much to pour over. But but the one thing I will say before we launch into talking about specifics, the one thing I would say that's very important in, in making comparisons and weighing weighing everything out is we need to take uh, appraisal or account of the fact that he is adapting from the book and that he's not remaking the film and that because of that he is using way more he's drawing way more from the source material there's so much more happens in this film in like the third act the second and third act than it does in the original film which it, it kind of feels almost stunted quite a bit i don't know if it's the time period that causes that to happen or if that's I don't know what that's about, but there is just there's a I feel like there's there's a whole swath of of, you know, plot that is just missing from the end of this film. Yes, Walter White, this film, this this is a live stream. We're talking about Nightmare Alley warning spoilers. Yes, um, very spoiler heavy. If you don't want to know spoilers for Nightmare Alley, we're going to go into right. all of them. That's right. So welcome to Walter White out of New Zealand. Beware. Um, so where to, first of all, I, I think it was a, a brilliant sort of move on GDT's part to make this a period piece because I didn't, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a period piece or not. I am so glad they made a period piece out of this. I'm glad they didn't try to modernize it like a lot of Hollywood films do. I mean, right. where, where like how are you going to do that how would you do the traveling circus in modern times that would be that would be so obnoxious i can't even i don't even know where to begin the the fact that they set this in like 1939 i believe the time period goes from like 1939 to 1941 basically right they kind of they kind of they kind of uh shove it in your face like oh world war ii is happening like they Mm -hmm. they sort of they they sort of just rub that it rub that right in your nose because they want you to know what the time period is without saying it Del Toro um, is really into World War II. I mean, you know, you've got Devil's Backbone, I think, took place during yep. World War II. Uh, Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth. Obviously, during the um, the oppression of Franco in Spain during World right. War II. Um, and, I, and I heard that his next movie what is, is Pinocchio, and it's going to take place during Mussolini's Italy. So, oh, my um, God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's producing he's, or directing, but that sounds he awesome. Is, he is such a great filmmaker. Before the end of the – okay – so we're going to cap off this stream when we're done with top five things we want to see GDT to, whether it's a remake or something that he would be really good at adapting. So yeah. keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. When we get to the end. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't make, you know, speaking of the matrix Four, uh, one of the things that I talked about with Bob and my friend, Jeremy is that, you know, the Matrix is applies differently than it did in 99, right? Like in 99, 
you the the rules were easier to define because the, you know people weren't so enmeshed. The technology has gotten to a point where it sort of becomes it becomes much harder to do a Matrix film in a way that makes sense because our lives are very sort of meta to begin with. Yeah, and in this in that by that same coin as you said to try and tell this film in the 21st century it would just it would not work you have to honor the time period from which it was which the book was written and which the move the original movie was made in order to properly adapt this film it's predicated on a lot of stuff like for instance you can't do a romeo and juliet film with cell phones right you can't do nope. it. Nope. It's impossible. What would happen? You, you, Romeo would text Juliet and everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. No, there'd be no, there'd be no story. Romeo and Juliet, one of the greatest tragedies ever written is predicated on the lack of use of cell phones. <laughs> yes. And I just watched, I just watched uh, the wife and I watch West side story on Sunday. We went to the theater and oh, it's the same that? thing. That's, that's a Romeo and Juliet story. It was great. Right. I thought it was fantastic. Right. right. I thought right. it was on par with the original, which is a controversial statement, apparently. But uh, I, I got to see it. It's just as good as the original. But it's got that Romeo and Juliet thing where at the end, right. you know, you think she's this is not a spoiler for a 60 year old movie, but you think she's dead. She's not really dead. And the guy, you know, gets killed. And it's all based on a miscommunication of the time. And yeah, to cell phones, you could FaceTime and be like, oh, you're not dead. You know, you're alive, you know. So um that stuff kind of has to be set in a certain time period. You know, I like writing horror films that take place before cell phones because people say that's lazy writing. It's not lazy writing. It's just that technology solves a lot of problems. So you either have to be out in the middle of nowhere or you have to have no cell phones like like take place. That's why you see so many retro slasher films these days, because they don't want to have to deal with the problem of technology of cell phones. So or you see there's always written it's always a contrivance that's written into the script. Oh, we're getting no service. They have to say it out loud and let you they know that they're not getting any service. It's the same thing as it's the same thing as doing a found footage movie and you can't figure out why on earth they would leave the camera recording. Like there's no scenario yeah. where you would continue recording when something really scary is happening. So by what to, to bring it back around to, to the movie, to the movie at hand, Nightmare Alley, you can't do you can't do Nightmare Alley where where you know you have a mentalist, because it's about a mentalist. It's about mm-hmm. a mentalist gag, and we'll get into that in a second. Um it's a it's a mental you can't have a mentalist uh, scam going on when someone has a cell phone in the audience. It's just not mm-hmm. going to, it just doesn't work. It's never going to work. Mm-hmm. So you lose you. So, so by that, by that statement, the story is a, it's a time period tale. You can't, you can't tell it in any other time, but that time. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the whole Carney world aspect relationship. Hucksters. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up on pro wrestling. I'm still a pro wrestling fan and pro wrestling came out of the carnivals oh, where yeah. they, they would pretend, you know, like we're going to fight and, you know, it's, it's a fake fight. I mean, but the guys that are fighting are actually can fight, but they, they put on a show for the, for the marks, quote unquote, that's what they would call people is the, their, the marks that would pay to see this stuff. Uh, the, the bearded lady, the, you know, the, the beast man and, and, and the geek biting heads off chickens. Um, it's this whole crazy culture built around, bilking money out of people and it's almost kind of like you know you seem oh these people are are, you know are you know wrestling the rubes but i think most people deep down know that this stuff is ridiculous but they just want to see a show 
So you have that relationship, that back and forth, that symbiotic relationship of the the carnies and the audience. There, you have one has to be willing to give over to the other, and vice versa, in order for it to work. You know, nowadays pro wrestling, everybody knows pro wrestling is fake. Back in the day, you know, a lot of people thought it was real. People still go to watch it because they want to be entertained, and they're okay with knowing that this is fake. Just like going to watch a movie. You have to suspend your disbelief. You have to give that energy over to the performers in order for it to work or there's no point in watching it. So it's just like any trick or show in a carny, you know, fest, uh, car- carnival. It's the same thing. I love that whole aspect. And I was entranced the entire time uh, with that. And I could have watched, you know, it's a two and a half hour movie already, but I could have watched like a four hour cut of this movie. I, I easily could have watched four hours of this film. I, I was so glad that it was two and a half hours. I never wanted it to end kind of like, I just loved being in that world. And I want to quickly touch on before we move on. Um, <laughs> I, you really sort of, I didn't think about it in this way. And I guess wrestling is the very last form of like vaudevillian entertainment mm-hmm. that we have left. It comes, it comes from, yes, Walter, you're totally right. Wrestling is the theater and it comes from like people, when people say wrestling is fake, fake, they really need to reframe it as sort of like a vaudevillian theatrical act of physicality. It's performance art. Performance. Yeah. It's yeah. performance art. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is, you know, like, cause Pete, and I guess maybe it gets that, it gets that stigma because, you know, wrestling is an actual sport. And so people are constantly drawing comparisons to say Olympic style wrestling versus, uh, you know, stage carny vaudevillian theatrical wrestling that is literally the last bastion of these dead art, art forms in, in reality. Like the mm-hmm. traveling show still exists in the form of wrestling. I didn't even think about it like that. That's, that is, uh, that is absolutely a profound observation, Nathan, truly. Profound. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if it's profound, but it, it's an observation. I, <laughs> I, you know, well, listen, it's profound to me because I never thought about it that way. Um, let's let, so let's sort of paint a little bit of this world. So, it, this is taking place at, you know, the height of the Great Depression or the, the right before the Great Depression is going to break. And we meet Bradley Cooper. We can't go beat by beat. We'll, we'll just sort of gloss over swaths. We meet Bradley Cooper's character and he, you know, we're, we're instantaneously sucked into the story because he's setting a body on fire. He's putting it in a hole in a house and setting on fire. We have no idea why. And, you know, normally you could roll your eyes at this contrivance, another contrivance of, oh, we're going to, you know, now we're going to jump back in time and tell you what, what, what. But we don't get that. We don't get that. Instead, we just see Bradley Cooper is, uh, what's his name again in the, what's his, Stan, um, right? Uh, it's, eh, man, what what is his name? Yeah, it's Stan. Not Stan. It's not Stan. It's like um, Stanton, Car- Stanton Carlisle. Yeah, but they call him Stan, I think. I think they call him Stan, but his name is Stanton Carlisle. Right. He finds he's just a drifter and he finds his way to, you know, a, a, a circus or, a, you know, a, a circus situation that has all of the stuff that Nathan was talking about. It has the beard. It has all sorts of attractions. The bearded woman, the strong man is played by Ron Perlman. It's awesome. You have a a, a person of small stature, of course. You wouldn't have a, a, a carnival without a person of small stature doing some mm-hmm. sort of uh, 
you know, various different things. Um, Willem Dafoe sort of is the boss of the carnival, and he also owns a geek attraction. And the geek is very important. As you can see, Nathan's title here, he calls himself Nathan the Geek. Nathan, what can you do? Are you familiar with the well? Obviously, you know what a geek is. What, what's the best way to describe a geek? So, I, what, what's great about this movie is that it explains a lot of carny stuff without giving a lot of exposition because by yeah. it, it shows you and it doesn't tell you. Like, Willem Dafoe's role in this movie is so good, and he's just a supporting mm-hmm. character, but he plays the character of Clem, who's kind of like in charge of some of the sideshows, including the 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 wild man the uh is he man or is he beast kind of gimmick right where they keep him in a cage and i don't want to go into too much spoilers about how they get a geek but you know the a geek is a slang well you have to because we're spoiling it but you don't have to write this second you can wait you can wait on it but we are going to talk about it for sure so geek is a term for a guy basically who bites heads off of chickens that's the basic right you know, I knew that before knowing anything about Carney stuff. Like, I mean, Luther right. the Geek is a is a famous Luther cult, the Geek. Cult, cult, f- famous cult horror film. Um, trauma but film. Yeah. Yes, trauma film. And, you know, Willem Dafoe's character is telling St- uh, Bradley Cooper's character, uh, Stanton, about how to get a, how do you get a geek? This is one of the best scenes in the movie. How do one you get a geek? So good. And now now correct me if I'm wrong. That scene is not in the original film. No. This this movie is about fifteen to twenty minutes longer than the uh, than than the actually no it's about fifty no, it's minutes longer. longer it's way yeah longer. yeah the 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 originals the 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 forty seven cut the forty seven version is about a hundred seven minutes yeah this is two and a half hours and that's why I'm saying they they put so much more there's so much more of the book is in this film I'm pulling up the IMDb so I can like say people's names and not like forget um but. Yeah, th- this scene I was I did had no that that's why that's what was so cool about watching this and what was so cool about what GDT did. Even if you've seen the original Nightmare Alley and you kind of have an idea of where things are going to go, there's so much new stuff that you are, you know, marveled and enthralled and absorbed in what is going on. Uh, unsure of what might happen next. And yes, there is a scene at a diner before we even get there. Let's just talk quickly. Bradley Cooper, Stanton, he ends up joining this circus. And, you know, this is a world where you could be a drifter and and, you know, uh, wander your way into a a situation where you're just looking for work as you're passing through. It's always just passing through. Got some work for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Willem Dafoe's Clem is like, yeah, I'll pay a buck. I'll pay a buck for 12 hours of work. It's backbreaking work and we need this done. and We need it done right now. And a dollar was a lot at that time, you know, for it was a good that you get dollar Especially a day. during a depression, a dollar right. for, for, you know, yeah, like a, a day's worth of work. That's that's right. that's that's worth a couple meals, probably, you know. Right. And then he, he he tops it off. And I love the food that's in this film. There's something so hearty about food at this time, like a good meal is a good mm-hmm. meal. Steak and eggs with a side uh, of bread, that kind of thing. I love steak and, eggs. you know, for 10 cents or whatever. And so it's like, you know, he says, eh, why don't you join us to the next town? I'll buy a hot meal or something. So he goes to the next town, buys him a hot meal. Uh, they're kind of, it's kind of weird because they're traveling circus. But then the there's like a psychic act and that's played. Tony Collette is oh. we all know Tony Collette is a great actress. She is so phenomenal in this film. 
She plays Xena the seer and she lives in like a brick and mortar house, which is kind of weird because I thought they were like a traveling circus, but she seems to never move with the circus in that kind of way. I I I think that's a cabin that they rent out. So I'm not 100 percent sure because I did see a sign that says log cabins or whatever for rent when they. Oh, that's when maybe I missed that when they're pulling out. I think they might have just rented that house that because it's in the area. I'm not 100 percent sure, though. Right. But before we go any further, I want to say. This cast, can I swear on yeah, this one? Of course. Yeah. This fucking cast is one of the greatest casts, one of the greatest ensembles I've ever seen in a, in a major yeah, film. It's really good. You great. got Bradley Cooper, yep. Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, David Strathairn, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, Richard Jenkins, Holt McCallany from Mindhunter. You've got. Um, who am I missing? Willem Dafoe. Richard, you said Richard Jenkins just now. Yeah, Richard Jenkins, Tim Blake Nelson. This cast goes on and on and on, and it is so good. Mary Steenburgen. I mean, holy, half of Hollywood is in this movie, and it. I just looked at the numbers. It made it's made six million so far at the box office for a budget of sixty million. And I'm you want to know like, something? It's not a flop though. You can't. It's it's a it's a smattering of circumstances. As you just said, Spider Man, COVID, winter uh, winter competition. Is. They it, it was a it was a it was a piss poor decision. And the critics recognize how much of a successful film it is critically. And I have a feeling that this movie's going to find an audience. Yes, this movie's going to find an audience next year. People are going to watch it on streaming or 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 buy it on Blu-ray or whatever, and they're going to be like. Why didn't I go see this movie in the theaters? Because it's a gorgeous film. I can't wait to get this in 4K. You know, I mean, but yeah, so there, there's an ensemble cast and, and he basically, he joins the carnival Stanton played by Bradley Cooper. He joins the carnival and Willem Dafoe kind of takes under his wing. And it's like, you know, being in this carnival, it's the type of situation where like, you know, a, you, you find a bed wherever you can. There's like a straw bed behind a, a, a cabinet of curiosities. And and Stan witnesses, and this is very important in the film, because what the film does is it it, it takes, I would say, it's it sort of, well, no, actually, I was going to say it does it in the, in the 47 film. It doesn't do it in this one. That's done with that scene, the steak and egg scene with Willem Dafoe in the diner after they drop off the geek. Basically, they introduce a geek, and what and the geek what the geek does is the geek is a person, uh, usually an alcoholic, someone who is so dependent on booze that they will do anything for a bottle of booze, and that includes uh, biting the heads off chickens because that's what a geek does. A geek bites the heads off of chickens for people's amusement. Mm-hmm. We now think of a geek, geek culture, geek somehow transformed. It went from being a, a pejorative for, you know, or, a uh, you know, just a, an idiom for or a label for, uh, you know, a carny freak to, you know, calling someone who's an outcast or into. Yeah, that's the word right stuff. there. It goes from being one outcast to the other, you know, the, right. Whether you're biting heads off of chickens or whether you're into Dungeons and Dragons, you're a geek. You know, you're right. You're, you don't belong. You're not one of us. You know, right. Like in freaks, and so, when they're like one of us, one of us, one of us. We accept you one of us. Yeah. And and, you know, oh, God. Yeah, man. Oh, God. You know, be such you know what I want to see. Oh, my God. I want please let GDT do a remake of freaks. That's my first one. That's my first of like five films. Oh, could you imagine Freaks and Nightmare Alley as like a double, like a double feature? Oh my god! Or, or oh Peter Jackson god. doing a remake of Freak. I want to oh. see Peter Peter Jackson oh, do another yes. movie. 
I mean, come on. I want to see Peter Jackson do freaks. That's the perfect dip back into horror. Yes. That's I, it. That's he, it. He, that's, uh, that's what he's talking about, right? Is doing a horror film. Yes. And he would do freaks. So like nobody. Oh my God. It would, would be terrifying. <laughs> it would be so good. It would be so good. In any case. Um, so we, we get introduced to the geek and the geek is a, a, an alcoholic in such despair and ruin that there is no, I mean, uh, the alcoholic of the hopeless variety and someone who will probably die of their alcoholism and their mm. mind isn't there. You know, someone who probably has some form of wet brain at this point and just subsists on two bottles a day or a bottle a day of booze and lives in a cage. Willem Dafoe, tr- not, you know, normally these these acts are sort of like, you know, there, there's there's like, the the just the way that they're treated during the act and then they're you know bat, bat behind the scenes everything's cool but in the case of the geek he is caged up at night he is treated like the beast that they pretend he is he really is that beast to them and yep. it, it gets to a point even where i mean we didn't we find out that it's a le- i mean obviously as it should be because essentially what it is it's enslavement they are enslaving this person somewhat against their will they're basically the get- shanghaiing them basically to to coin a term yeah. you know they're just grabbing them and they're they're doping them up they're alkying them up and you know right. turn, turning them into a hobo geek basically um right. one little push and then like you know that that you know that scene where Willem Dafoe is eating steak and eggs with um Bradley yeah, Cooper let's just talk and, about that scene just go and he's it. He's like, you know how to get a geek, you know, and Willem Dafoe is so good at delivering monologues like any movie he's ever been in. I don't think he's ever had a weak performance, but this is one of his best scenes ever as an actor. Wait, 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 wait. One real quick, real quick. I'm going to interject just real quick because this scene uh, is takes place after the fact that the geek that they have, he's no good anymore. No, he's drop him off. He's done. Well, the geek. The original geeky let, – let, let's set it up a little bit more because uh, right. uh, Stan uh, Stanton, he actually sneaks into the geek show. It's a quarter to stay right. and watch the geek bite a head off a chicken. Bradley Cooper skips the entrance to the, the extra fee and is just watching him bite the head off a chicken. He thinks that nobody has watched him do this, and when he goes to pick up his pay for his day's work when he's helping tear down the carnival – right. Instead of a dollar, they give him 75 cents because Willem Dafoe's like, I saw you peeping on the geek show. You know, that's a quarter. So you only get 75 cents. So like carnies are slick, sharp eyed people that they will they will fuck you over a quarter and they don't give a shit. Um, So that's that was a fun little scene. I like that little moment because it, 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 you know, it rewards you for paying attention. And, And Guillermo del Toro knows that the audience isn't stupid like some other filmmakers do. And they will figure shit out on their own. And that's what I like about him. He does not hold your hand with anything. There's a He's difference not, between nothing in this. stupid ex- exposition and artful exposition. And Del Toro knows how to do artful exposition, like this scene with the geek. So setting that up, the geek escapes while they're tearing down the circus out in right. the rain. And he gets into right. the fun and gets into the fun house. Stanton right. finds him and he's he's like he's trying to be nice to him. He's like, hey, dude, you know. You know, I'm not going to treat him like a person, like a person. And he, he yeah. gets rewarded by getting hit on the head with a rock by the geek. So because the geek is trying to escape. Yeah, the geek is like scarred, you know, maybe he had a moment of clarity. He's trying to get the fuck out of there. So he's right. trying to escape. Who's this guy? He doesn't care. So right. they finally get him. 
And they, you know, and Stanton gets him and beats him up really good. And they're like, no, you know, you're going to kill our geek. What are you doing? You know, because everything's an uh, investment. He brains him good. Yep. He, yeah, yep. he punches him really good. And uh, so then he's like, all right, I'll take you out for a meal or whatever. And uh, and he's telling him. Actually, though, there's another scene where, like, uh, the geek is drank too much or something or he's gotten no, there's on a head. bunch of stuff happens yeah he gets it, the, the wound slowly gets infected yes. uh stanton we'll just fill in the narrative super quick stanton be, joins the show and befriends the the xena the seer and her husband who is also a drunk but of a different variety yeah uh played by who play uh that's uh david uh stretcher there Strathair, and i can't Strathair. yeah he's yeah. in a lot of a lot of movies oh my the God. wild um, LA Confidential, yeah, yeah, Marshall. Stuff. yeah. He he um he plays a drunk himself who always needs a bottle of the sugar mash at night. There's two different types of alcohol that Clem has. He has the stuff that'll kill you, which this scene was in the in the original film. Yeah, he has the stuff that'll kill you, and he's got the stuff that'll make you drunk. And um, yeah. and he always says, "Put you better pay for it." You know, because mm-hmm. if you don't pay for it, I'll know and I'll get you. So you put a nickel mm-hmm. in the in the tin can and you take out your bottle of, of booze and don't use the rubbing rubbing alcohol variety. And of course, of course, Stan does take that rubbing alcohol variety and gives it to Pete, killing him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that goes on there. So let's leave that alone for a second and go back to We're, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, yeah, we'll we'll come back to that because that's about Stan's character. But basically, uh, Stan is now in the he's 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 employed and he's gets to know everybody and yada yada yada. And then Clem says, "Hey, come help me with the geek. We got to get rid of him. The geek is cashed, basically." Yeah. So they drop him off at a missionary, like a Jesus saves missionary type yeah. situation. They ding dong ditch, yeah. Yeah, and then, they ding dong ditch and they just so callously like we used you up and you know what it kind of reminded me of it like Clem then sits down and has the steak and eggs conversation with Stanton he says you know how you make a geek and I'll let Nathan explain this um, but what's interesting is the one thing I will say is that there's almost a, there's almost a, like a, a sort of pimp mentality to- absolutely there's like this pimp mentality to Clem. Like this is what pimps do with uh, the women um, that they sort of possess. I guess is the best way would be possess and enslave and whatever the situation might be. Mm-hmm. It's subjective. It's wide and subjective. I can't, I don't want to use specific terms because there's a bunch of different things, but in the, in the, the one, the toxic variety, the really, really, really bad, situation mm-hmm. i don't know if there's not a bad situation when it comes to pimps but but, but my point being with all of this is just simply that it he sounded like a pimp the way a pimp sort of does mental gymnastics over uh, a, a woman he has in his employ and possession and hostage and uses her up until she's no good to him anymore in that kind of way Pretty much. This movie is all about using people up until they're no good to you anymore or they can't take or they can't take it anymore. That's pretty much what this movie is about, um, among other things. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they're they're sitting down for dinner. And after they've dropped off this geek, we don't even know if he's dead or alive. He's probably going to die. And they're having this conversation. Clem couldn't give a shit. He's like, hey, you want to know how you get a geek? You want to know? So matter of fact, so casual about it. 
And Stan is all in on everything. He is absorbing all of this information on how to do mentalism, how to, you know, everything about the carn, carny life. He's just right. sponge, sponging it up. He hasn't talked much yet in the movie. When, he, when we first meet him, he's, he doesn't say a word. When he gets hired right. to be in the circus and everything, you're like, oh, is he going to be mute for a while? Or He's just right. he's listening, which is very interesting to see as a character. He is observing. Yeah. So he's not a guy who's going to which is funny because as the movie goes on, he can't shut the fuck up. He keeps talking and keeps talking more and keeps and more. talking when it gets to by the end of the movie. That's all he does is talk. And that's why nobody wants to be around him. Great character arc in this movie. It's just yeah. fucking fantastic. Um so he's talking about how to get a geek and it's all psychological. It's like, you got to find somebody who's at their wits end. You got to find somebody who's mm -hmm. on the sauce, who is drinking mm -hmm. heavily. Um, you got to find someone who's willing to do something for money and you just give them the little push. Basically I'm paraphrasing. You get to give them a little push over the edge and then you've got your geek and you just keep them addicted to the rot gut whiskey or whatever you keep them chained hold up. On. You got to hold on. That's a great term. We hold on. I, I know, I know we're trying to get through this whole thing. There's a lot to talk about, but we have to stop for what, what rot gut whiskey means. And uh, I want to inject one other detail. He says you put a drop of opium. Yes. I forgot about that the bottle. Right. I, th I, I just want to make sure we touch. He, say, he says detail. you wait until the right moment when they're at their breaking point, And then you, you put you drop the opium in there and that sends them over the edge and they're done and they want that hit over and over again right and right. You, that's what keeps them basically enslaved as a geek not only enslaved but that they just yeah that they're just they have no problem they have no qualm with biting a head off a chicken now you got to think 25 cents if a dollar is a day's work 25 cents is a lot of money to watch a geek bite the head off a chicken. You got mm -hmm. all these people come in. The geek is a cash cow for Clem. Mm -hmm. And he's not paying. Uh, what is he paying the geek in? A bottle a bottle of booze. That's, that's it. it. A place to sleep and a bottle of booze. And that's it. A cage um, to sleep. A cage to sleep. That's true. You know, and another thing, you know, because we're going spoiler heavy. If you don't know anything about this movie or book or whatever, and you're watching this movie and you've seen five movies, you probably have an idea where this movie is headed as far as Ted right. Stanton's character. It's this the the doom and the portent in this movie is so thick. It's like oh. man, mayonnaise. Like it's all dread. over it's the place. Dread. It's, it's dread. It's dread. It's like a sword of yeah. Damocles hanging over. And you know where he's going to end up at the end of this movie. You absolutely know. Oh, yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes knowing where somebody's going to end up is adds to the enjoyment of the film or to whatever emotion you want to. We uh, don't feel bad when we watch him commit heinous deeds. We don't feel bad about him getting away with thing after thing because we know where he is he headed and i mean you can ultimately sum this film up it is absolutely a greek tragedy it is yeah. it is uh, uh oedipus rex um a bit a little bit not quite bit. not in terms of not maybe not with the 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 not not exactly with the motherfucking or anything but it's like, a self-fulfilling prophecy he's yes. a self-fulfilling prophecy he is a self-fulfilling um, prophecy and it's just basically the movie really chalks itself up to and i don't i really want to uh we're, we're doing a lot of foreplay here, but the movie essentially is a joke. And what I mean by that is there is a setup and there is a punchline. Yes. And it might be, I, I, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm being, um, what's it called over misled. I yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I'm being misled or I don't feel like I'm being uh, over exaggerating. That's what I mean. I don't feel like I'm over exaggerating when I say 
that this might be one of the greatest punchlines this is cinema it's the, so good the last shot and last line of this movie is yeah is on par with there will be blood as oh, far as just, I, i'm finished and i was born for this are just this are born of the same cloth fantastic oh, oh my god you know what i mean it's just all right let's just let's just do it let's rip off the bandit no 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 keep going keep going we'll go let's a little further yeah and also yeah. i want to say this movie <laughs> this movie has a lot in common with uncut gems too and so you're following yeah. a you're following a character that you Very know something bad is going to happen to this guy everybody's warning him right don't do the spook show don't do the spook show don't do it and what 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 they're referring to when they say that is yeah, that he what learns is spook show he learns all the tricks of the older mentalist played by David Strathairn after he dies. And it's implied that he murdered him basically to get his secrets. It's not it's, actually it's not It happens in the original film. He does murder him. In this movie, it, it makes it a little more, uh, less, less, uh, more, a little bit more ambiguous, even though you know that he de definitely it's killed not, him. No, it's, you know what it is? It's that it's more, they make it more like he was a conflicted and B he, or he accidentally gave him the wrong whiskey. Right. It, or, or subconsciously like he wanted him, he needed him out of the picture mm -hmm. and he almost like, you know what it was? It's almost like in an unguarded moment, he had a mental blank and he did the thing that his heart most desired because he yes. genuinely loved he genuinely loved it wasn't uh, it wasn't like I'm, I'm gonna kill this guy it was more like well he wants the whiskey so i'll just give it to right. him and then he's like oh i didn't kill him even though subconsciously he knows that he did he did he did right you know he totally he's 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 he's, he's marking himself basically he's he's being a carny for himself you know what i mean like he's fooling himself and it, i think what's who's the character yeah. that basically said he's was it kate blanchett basically said that you're you your own worst enemy basically you're not smarter than anyone else you're you're, you're basically constantly fucking yourself over basically so oh my god that we didn't even get to that part it's so good that whole thing so wait hold on real quick though uh, more about a little bit more on the mentality stuff so pete who is his mentor this mentalist he develops this system and basically we're talking about like uh what they what they do is they're like they have this sort of like seer routine where you know, you hold an envelope to your head and you sort of you're, you have you're, you're telepathic and you can predict you're predicting what uh, somebody, you know, somebody's situation. And there's all these different tells. And this is also it, it, it aligns with the carny life of how to read someone, how to read your mark. It's because it's yeah. all about as 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 Nathan says, it's all about the mark, reading the mark and then extracting money from the mark. And there is a there is a code of pride in the carny way like the carnies are that's like it's uh we're us and everybody else is different from us we are a special breed and you're not on our level it's like there's all that that going on in there too and basically pete teaches this style of mentalism that is brilliant and it, it involves all these complicated hand gestures where you know if you do this it means large if you do this it means small if you do this it means like there's all these different things that are tells that communicate to the person it's you you are the mentalist and then you have your like assistant person and you go back and forth back and forth yada 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 and that's how and it's just really ingenious and stanton is a very quick learner and he picks it up and pete is happy to teach him because for a very long time he's just become sort of a bumbling drunk he's drinking behind uh behind the back of his wife 
played by Zena, aka Tony Collette, who's not very faithful to Pete as she as the moment she lays no. eyes on Stan. As as soon as he as soon as she sees Stan, <laughs> you're like she wants to fuck him. Like, yeah, she just starts right giving away. him a tug. He gets a tuggy right in the um she gives him a tuggy they're, right in they're the uh, literally waiting. They're literally waiting for him to leave so they yeah. can fuck. Like yeah, but it's not you know what's interesting <laughs> too is even though they fuck, she's still more like a mother figure than say a lover figure, and he's more like a father. So he finds the surrogate family. So absolutely oh, there's the Oedipus. There's a little bit of the Oedipus. Oh, Oh, he kills his father. He kills yeah. his father and he fucks his mother. Yeah. We got it. You we were got right. It. I didn't even you were right. I was had it on the money. We just didn't see that. He, there's he, so much going on in this movie when you there, feel there's it back. an Oedipal, there's an Oedipal, there's way more Oedipal uh action going on than we anticipated. So it not only is it a self-fulfilling prophecy, but there is he 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 adopts this woman as his mother, but he fucks her and he kills the uh, man that he sort of looks at as a father way more than his actual father. And then um, he falls in love with the electric girl, right? Yes. Um, He's one of these guys that kind of just blows into town and falls in love with every girl he sees and falls out of love with them just as fast. And I've met yeah. plenty of these guys. You know what I mean? You know, they're the, they're sweethearts you know, for a week or mm-hmm. whatever, and then they're done with you after they've used you for whatever they need, and then you don't hear from them again. So right. it's, I don't, it's, I don't know if that's a narcissist or a sociopath or what it is, but... Narcissist um, and so, uh, narcissistic sociopathic tendencies. And you know what they say, what I learned far too late in life, I would say, uh, you know what the best way to deal with a narcissist is? I'm listening. You don't. (laughs) You just just cut them out. Yeah. If you, I I learned that, you know, like I've dealt with narcissists in my life and I've dealt with them in business scenarios. And I learned years later, I was reading a thing about how to deal with narcissists. And I just suddenly, the answer became so clear. It said, if you have the option to not deal with a narcissist, then don't deal with them. You can't. They're unreasonable people. You can't confront a narcissist because they're the victim every single time. Yeah. They're, they will turn it around and make you feel like you're yeah. you're victimizing they are, them. They just you can, they are unreasonable people. They only become reasonable when they stand to have something to gain and Stan is always looking to gain in some way shape or form. So he kills Pete, he takes the knowledge and he this runs away with the girl that he falls away, in love with. This is after he's killed his father, which you already know. Like I mean he's carrying a body in the beginning of the movie. So he's right. clearly killed somebody. Regardless of the context, we find out later that, yes, he did kill his father. Um, he right. didn't just die, and then he set him on fire. He so killed, he killed his, his father. father twice. He killed his father twice. So he has an issue with father figures. So he's like, you know, I don't know, Zeus, you know, trying yeah. to stave, stave off Kronos, eating him or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, the, there was a nice moment I liked um, after he has died after David Strathairn's character, the mentalist has died. Yeah. Um, they're, they're packing up and they're leaving. I haven't even got to the cop scene yet. I'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh yeah. Very important. But uh, when they're leaving and everybody's leaving and they're packing up and he's going away with Rooney Mara's character who he has romanced um, through his charms. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Bradley Cooper is a handsome man. He doesn't have to try that hard, but he's also very charming in this film too. So of course, every woman in the thirties is going to want to sleep with him. So, I mean, 
that's just, I mean, he's got everything going. He's got guile. He's got wit. He's got charm. He's got good looks. So it's not hard for him to do that. Um, he's not exactly Ron Perlman. Let's just, let's just say, you know what I mean? Like I love Ron Perlman, but we you love know, Ron Perlman face. A mother could love only a mother could love. Um, <laughs> he's got, so, a, he's got what they call a mug. That's the best. He's got, a, he's, got a, he's, he's got a mug. A, he's I, I love him, but he's got a dog face. I mean, he's got like a like a pit bull well, like kind of. You face, know what it you is? Know? It's not. No, he's his face has character. He, he has does a have, face absolutely. Of character, absolutely. And I think that's the best way to sort of uh, describe it. And that means that he's not he's not uh, good looking in any means of the traditional sense. And he's got he's that just, rugged quality i'm sure there's some women out there that love ron perlman so i'm not saying I, that, yeah there's definitely you know, got to be a ron perlman type out or people who have the ron are attracted to the ron perlman type but you're like like yeah, a michael any, cannon type too you know he's not necessarily yeah. you know great uh he i put him in the same category but yes, women find yes. him sexy too so right so you have so so basically he's just like he becomes the the cat's meow of this situation he kills pete he takes the secrets. He runs off with the girl. And Ron Perlman, he plays the strong man. And his 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 friend of short stature goes by the name of uh, the major, played by Mark Piven, Pivanelli. He uh, who's, yes. who's that actor? And and him and 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 the major are very overprotective. Of I think her name is Molly. She's Molly Molly uh, Rooney Mara as Molly uh, Cahill, and. Molly is like she does the electricity. She's like a electric woman sort of situation. And, you know, like Stan is also innovative, too. He always is trying to think of the next big thing. He's like, I know how to make your act better, that kind of thing. And then they run into trouble and it gets very things get very, very sticky, very, very sticky. And you know what else is sticky? They do you know what else gets sticky? What gets sticky, Jeff? Uh, Stickers, stickers stick. Stickers yes, are do. sticky. Absolutely. And, a nice segue. Yeah. And you want to know something? Um, this channel is powered by riotstickers.com. That's right. You actually saw Riot Stickers in the comments. That's Josh Sharpie Riot. He has an independent business. And I got to tell you, it is a phenomenal independent business. He prints all sorts of stuff. He does T-shirts, banners, and stickers. And we're doing a special promotion, a special partnership, special tie-in promotion uh, with riotstickers.com. Uh, this deal is only available through the Frumis channel, and you are not going to find a better deal on the Internet. So if you have an artistic project, this would normally cost you fifty nine dollars on the website. But here it's only going to cost you twenty nine dollars and fifty cents for fifty three inch by three inch vinyl stickers at riotstickers.com. And the way you're going to get it is you're going to use the 50 percent off code. Uh, from us right here f-r-u-m-e-s-s you can see it right below so use promo code from us and the link is in the description of this video riotstickers.com i've done business with riotstickers.com i know a lot of people that do business with riotstickers.com so if you need stickers that's the place to go use your promo code from us for that special promotion uh let's play the 60 second video real quick we'll take a break and we'll get back and learn about what happened with the cops Print on pants, she prices in high quality. Quick to 
Oh, 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 hey, yeah, we're back. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. So everything is sort of, you know, peachy keen. They're doing this new elect- electric act and, and things are things are going fine. And... He sets up an electric chair for her. She normally right. she's just holding on to kind of like the Tesla coils. Right. And 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 channeling electricity. And he's like, I can make the show better. And that's kind of his way to like romance her a little bit is impress her by saying, oh, let's do the electric chair act and have the the little person character throw the switch and make it look like she's being electrocuted. And uh, it's a whole big rigmarole. And like Ron Perlman or uh, who who was it that was like, this is stupid. I think they were both they both of them. They were like, this is. Like, this is, you don't have to do this. The rubes are already going to pay to see her get electrocuted, you know, like it's, but he's into the show aspect of it, which takes place, um, you know, throughout the rest of the movie when he becomes a mentalist and he starts, you know, raking money in hand over fist. Um, he He's into the show purpose. Um, ooh, sticker request. Um, yeah, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just was sh- showing we're trying not to, to to do too much with comments because we're having a flowing conversation. But I will answer these questions real quick from Runner's Dial Zero. Yes, you can get stickers for vandalism purposes. That doesn't mean that they're being used for vandali- this vandalism pur- purposes, but they allegedly could be used for vandalism purposes if you wanted to stick them over alt-right stickers that are already doing the vandalism. So you could be vandalizing the vandalism uh, for sure. Talk to talk to Josh about it. Uh, Josh yep. does not uh, condone vandalism. Neither do I. And we're not saying that you would use such stickers for vandalism purposes, but that you would use those said stickers for whatever purposes you personally do. We are not responsible for whatever you do with your personal stickers and whatnot. And Jody, I'm so happy that you are getting ready for the upcoming Devilock pageant. That is awesome. Back to our schedule programming. We uh, w- one thing that we we need to touch back on is the fact that where is the electricity going? Nate, like this is told we find out at the end. I kind of want to talk about this real quick because I'm so afraid we're going to forget like later on. This was a bit of a reveal. It was a bit of a reveal. She's actually being electrocuted. Like this is not like a this is not a gimmick where it's just like it's being grounded. She's taking the electricity until she can't take it anymore. And then they turn it off and she's like sore for days afterwards because she's actually being electrocuted. So there is a little bit like sometimes if it looks real, it's probably real. Like, <laughs> Right. And, and that's what, you know, it's, it's implied early on that she's just doing a gag, that it's a gag. The gag is mm-hmm. never explained. No. And we are it's revealed later on. So hopefully we remember to get back to that as we're going yes. through the plot. But basically, just want to touch on that. They're doing that. The cops come. Why do the cops come, Nate? The cops come because people are kind of basically reporting back from the carnival saying that, you know, women are dressed lewdly like Rooney Mara's wearing like nowadays it would be considered tame. But back then she's wearing like a cutoff, you know, and and short shorts, basically. So kind of like they're saying, oh, you're going to you're under arrest for being, you know, indecent in public, which is ridiculous now. But back then that was like being naked, basically. Um, and just, you know, they were they were selling alcohol. I believe they were selling alcohol illegally and they're getting people drunk. You know, I don't know if it was a dry state or not. Um, Prohibition was over by then, um, but they still had dry states. So I'm not sure. But they were doing all kinds of unsavory things. And, and they drew the right. attention of, of the cops, basically. 
And I don't know the if that geek anything... was the big the, the geek was the big source of contention. The, the, more the geek than was the tip off because they found the geek and he basically reported them or he, they figured it out or whatever. So the right. cops show up and the sheriff is he's got the best mustache I've ever seen. He's got like that kind of the side mustache. mustache that goes this way. Um, yeah. And he's got um, he's got I don't know if he's got a club foot, but he's got or a short one. One foot is short of the other. Stanton yeah. sees this right away. He sees that he's got a lift in his right foot. So he figures he's probably had the like, you know, the flu or polio or something when he was a kid. So he uses that and goes into this amazing scene where he completely like the cops are ready to shut the circus down and arrest everybody. And he notices his foot and goes into a whole thing where he's communicating with this with his the spirit of his dead mother. He guesses that the it's Mary. Yeah, yeah. He he guesses that he's Mary. Her name is Mary because he the, the guy's Catholic. He's got one of those little Catholic, you know, Mary uh, uh, necklaces. Um, right. You know, and he's like, you know, going into this whole thing. Just just what mentalists do. They go off of guesses and they go off of signs and clues. Right. And that there is a literally there's like a list. There's like a list of things. Right. Yes. That he's learned from his, uh, from the guy's notebook. He was looking and there's also another scene where he's looking in the notebook and the guy wakes up and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just curious, you know, like it's the last time he, they spoke. Yeah. It's the last died. time they spoke before he died. So he's picking up on all this stuff and how to do this. He's a smart guy. He can he can learn things, which is why he doesn't talk much in the beginning of the movie, because he's absorbing everything like a computer, you know, whatever from weird science. Um, he's so. Yeah. So he finally this is the moment. Where all this pays off is that he launches in this whole spiel, saves the circus from being shut down. You know, the cop is convinced that this guy is talking to his dead mother or at least channeling the spirit or whatever and telling him it's okay. You know, you need to be you need to be a forgiving, kind soul, basically, basically saying don't shut down the circus and stuff. And so he saves the day. Everybody loves him. He's he's on a high over that. His head grows 10, 10 sizes. You know, he thinks he's amazing after doing this. And that's kind of the beginning of Stanton's downfall is that scene because he's so good at what he does. But they're like, you're not really supposed to do that stuff. You're not supposed to to get that personal and that one-on-one with this mentalism right. because it's dangerous. And Tony Collette warns him and David yeah. Strathairn warns him. They say no spook show, no spook show, which is a term for doing a seance or doing a one-on-one reading because and why is that? Why is that? What's so bad about doing a spook show? Because you can, as we see later on, a lot of different effects can happen and they explore all of them, but they'll start asking specific questions and you won't be able to answer them. Or they'll be like, what did I say to you before I die? Or, you know, before you the die. Pitfalls are hazardous. There are you, tons you, of them. You just don't know what's going to happen. You, you, and the other thing too, is that a, a spook show, as they call it, 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 uh, it basically is attracting bad vibrations. Mm-hmm. You are asking for it. If you, you know, they follow the tarot and the tarot, the tarot cards. And, you know, it's just no good. And 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 Pete, he says, I stopped doing this because I got to in. I saw what the I got power. shut eye. I got shut eye. What does it that means, mean exactly? Yeah, basically, I don't know. Be, there's a term in, in pro wrestling called being a mark for yourself. And yeah. So what that is, what that means is that you believe that you are the greatest wrestler on the world and that it's real and that you oh. are the, you are the champion because you actually beat these people for real. So you you take yourself way too seriously, basically. You become a mark for yourself. So that's basically – I keyed in on that right away. 
you, he basically became a mark for himself. Oh, David Strathairn is saying that he's yeah. so good at what he did. He believed that he was actually channeling the dead, which is impossible in this movie, in this movie, at least, you know, that's not It's not real. Of course. Of course. But you know, they're warning him. The dread in this movie is so delicious. It's so thick and it's just, I loved it. I got off on it because I knew that this was going to get fucking dark in a hurry. And it did. And by the we time we knew he, from watching from watching the original film, you know where he's going to end up. Absolutely, the difference is we don't know how it's going to happen in this film because there's so much more going on. Yes. So. By the time we meet Richard Jenkins' character, you're like, oh right. <laughs> my god, we are fucked. Like this guy's fucked. Like you need to he's just fucked. walk away, walk away, and he does it. He goes further, just like in Uncut Gems. He goes further, yeah. and you're like, oh, my God. Like, what is going to happen right now? Like, seriously. So to fast forward here, just to just to, let's fast forward a little bit in terms of what's happening. Um, they leave the they leave the circus and they go on to do their own mental attack. He runs away with Molly and, you know, Ron Perlman, Bruno and the major They really don't like that. They don't like this because they they knew Molly's dad and they want to protect her or whatnot. So they mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, they keep in touch with her uh, and stuff. Even when she, they go out to LA, I assume it's LA and um, it's kind of interesting. I think it's Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. I think it's Buffalo. Cause it's snowing at the end and they're at the bus station oh, and they're, they're, yeah. they're headed to Cincinnati from Buffalo. I believe it's Buffalo. I um, want to say that this shares a universe. Uh, it's, since we always are obsessed with shared universes, I want to say that this is a shared universe of Chinatown. You know what? That's what you got the, the Jeff cinematic universe. You got it going on. <laughs> I'm really good at, at looping films together in cinematic universes. And he is, he's in New York. That's what it says on Wikipedia. So okay, I'm guessing so he's in it's New York. Yeah. I thought they were in California, but maybe I'm just crazy and just not paying attention to things the way I should be. Um, so they, right. They leave, they leave the circus they leave the the carney the carney circus and they they move on to bigger sites and they before, turn their act on i want yeah, that one ahead. moment that one moment i forgot they're leaving yeah. the yeah. stanton and uh, molly are leaving they've got her packed up the circus is mm -hmm. leaving town xena mm -hmm. sitting on the stairs by herself this is after right. her, hus her husband has died and he yeah. comes back up to her stanton comes back up to her and hands her the notebook and says do you want do you want the notebook back at least basically and she's like no like what what's the point like <laughs> he's dead you already know everything so i know everything he seals his, and he seals his fate and here's the thing too you have to remember like meant like this stuff and we should have just said this earlier but super quick this is not stuff you learn in college you don't take a course for this this is Back in the day when you wanted to learn a trade, you apprenticed under someone and learned the trade from them. And then it was passed on like master and apprentice, like Jedi style, like Sith style, whatever. And so it's like he learned this act from this dude. And he's the only one who knows it. Like he is the he is now the keeper of the knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's absolutely. Like, it's all handed down, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, but that, that another scene like this, God, this movie's so fucking good. There's oh, a scene so when when um, I keep forgetting David Strathairn's character, Pete, when his character Pete. is still alive, he go, uh, Bradley Cooper's Stanton goes, um, you know, I was thinking maybe you could teach me some things. Yeah, he's stoked and, about it. And Pete goes, 
teach you some things. And at first Stanton's like, Oh shit, I overstepped my bounds. Like I shouldn't have said that. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like, is that, I hope that's okay. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. Nobody has ever asked me to do that in such a long time. Right. You know, he was right. caught off guard. He's like, yeah, you know, he doesn't say yes, but that's what I like about this movie. He doesn't say yes. He's like, no, it's fine. So nobody's just asked me that in a long time. And then Stanton smiles and he knows that he's in. Right. So right. this movie is so fucking good. Like every scene in this movie is deliciously constructed. It, it, it's, you know what it is? It's just like a good, like, again, as we were talking the other day about Quentin Tarantino films, and we were talking about how Quentin, later Quentin Tarantino films uh, as a whole can be sloppy or uneven or patchwork. Uh, but the scenes are like fine pieces of steak that you could just that you just eat. And this film is a, just a giant steak, like scene after scene is just a glory, just delicious. And um, so we segue now into the big city and they've refined their mentalist act and they're doing it in like these in like restaurant club type situations that you'd see in the early, uh, early 40s, late 30s. And they like they like live I think they live in like the hotel above the club that they work at or something, maybe something, mm -hmm. something like that, yeah. like a room and board. I mean, like back in the day, like if you wanted to be entertained, you just you'd go hang out at a club. That's, you know, Coco Cabana or whatever. That's it's sort like, of thing. like a supper club. Adults supper would club, go yeah. at, after dinner. You would go to supper at a nightclub, like a supper right. club, basically. And you drink right. and have hors d'oeuvres or whatever. Yep. That was the old school nightlife style, you know, right. kind and, of a lost art. Scene. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely. Jinx, you owe me Jinx. a coke. <laughs> and um, another, and another great scene is when we cut to New York, and there he's doing his show, and he's got this affected old timey transatlantic accent that he's using instead of his usual like midwestern southern accent. I, you know, I did not pick up on that. You're absolutely right. And he's kind, of, he's kind of talking like this, and he's changed. He's trying yes. to adjust. He's conforming. Now he's in the big city now. Backgrounds, right? It, you know, he's got to fool the big city people now. So this the, is the a, hoi polloi, as they would call them. Exactly. This is a bigger game, so you have to up your game. You have to change your accent. You got to dress in a tuxedo. Right. You have to. And look. they're making good money. They're making, they're making good great money. money. She's they're, not happy though. She's not happy because. He's a dickhead, and she has realized that he's he's a dickhead, and he always will be a dickhead, and he just wants and wants and wants and takes and takes and takes, and and, and they keep going over the act too, like it's like they it's a never ending refinement of this act, like they just keep. Yeah. They've and been she, doing it for two years, and they're still he, going over the act. And he says he's she's still messing it up. It's because her heart's not into it. She's such a sweetheart. You just kind of want to hold her and go, you know, they're right. there, but like Get out of here. She doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't like she's such a nice girl and he treats her like garbage. And um, this is where Kate Blanchett shows up in a fucking fantastic scene where the, the, he's doing his act and we're, we're getting used to him doing his big high time act. Right. And sh she's his assistant, Rudy Mara. And um, so they do their whole mentalist sh uh, shtick and they get to the end. And Kate Blanchett stands up and is like, I kind of call bullshit, you know, she what's just going on? everything. She's just yeah, everything. You're full of it. And he turns it around on her. You think, oh, OK, is she in on it? Are they all in on it? And they're just doing like this is their finale. You know, you could be thinking that, too. But no, she's actually trying to call him out on his bullshit. And he turns it back around on her and guesses that she has a handgun in her purse. She's like, what right. am I holding in my purse? Which and is also he, a setup. It's also a Chekhov's gun. Absolutely. It's a Chekhov's gun. It's an actual Chekhov's <laughs> gun. 
what I uh, I'm going to go into this because I've been thinking about this. I yes. Yes. love the the relationship between Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper's characters is so fucking good. You might yeah. actually miss how good it is. Every scene, like once he meets her, he thinks that he's got the edge on her. Like he thinks that. She's wait, 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 just... hold on, hold on, hold on. I love. Listen, I don't want to interrupt you. I, I do. Do you finish that thought? I just have to. I have to hold on. I before you get there. Before you get there, I just want to touch back on one tiny little detail. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, this is what the, it's for. The the um, there we to elaborate a little bit further on how this works. So when when Pete tells Stan, he goes, look, here's the deal. If it's an older woman, then that means it's very likely that they have a son that they are estranged from. And if it's a younger person, then that means that it's an old that it's usually mom or like there is a it's almost like a logical pseudoscience. That's what it is. It's a pseudoscience. It's like a lot like the way, you know, you feel someone's scalp to determine their their aches and pains or whatever. Like it is. It is not based on science, but it's based on on a, probability and reading something. Logic and probability. It's a weird pseudo form of logic and probability. Right. Exactly, Jeff. That's perfect. Right. And and so what what uh, Nate is des- describing, and I'm going to let him get back to in a minute. I don't want to take away his thunder, but he's he. What happens in in this moment is that she breaks, she breaks the, she breaks the the the, the chain of of custody. Because in order for the the act to work, they need to only be handling and interacting with each other, assistant and mentalist. And she breaks that and by by not giving over the object and he removes his blindfold. And then what happens, Nate? So he removes his blindfold and he she thinks that he's got her. This is the only scene in the movie. If you've seen this movie, this is the only scene in the movie where she actually gets had very briefly and it comes back to bite him in the fucking ass it bothers her she's so she's so upset that this happens so she goes all right what's in my what's in my clutch what's in my purse and she holds it up and he takes his mask off and right. he you think he's fucked he's like there's no way he's going to know and he guesses it's a nickel plated uh you know revolver a little a little pop gun and he's right and like the crowd is like woo you know and later on we find out you know it's more guesswork it's more logic it's more probability she's like how did you know she's enamored too she is like she's angry and she's enamored all at the same time she's so attracted to him and enamored but at the same time what i wanted to say is that when you see the scenes between her and him he can't he's falling all over himself to dress her down at every fucking opportunity. He's attracted to her, but he's also so fucking insulting and dismissive of her at the same time. Yeah. Anytime he opens his mouth at her, it's it's a condescending or it's a rebuff or it's a whatever. But then he's also you want to fuck me, right? You know, you want me. And right. the whole time she just grits her teeth and is just like, I'm going to get this fucker back. Like, I'm going to get him. She lets him think that he's in control every time he shows up at her office. She and ends she, up pulling the long con on him. Uh, she ends up pulling the long con on him, playing the mother role as a psychiatrist to her, actually gets him to lie down in the shrink chair. Yeah. And one of the few moments of vulnerability for St- for uh, Stanton is when she head shrinks him and he's lying down. 
And he, she's like, I got, that's the moment where she's like, I have him. I have him. I got him. Well, even before that, and here's the thing, the movie, you really can split the movie into two parts. There's, there is the, there's the Carney section. And then there is the beginning of this relationship and the big con. Yes. And the big con happened. Well, what this, the con that, that we are following turns out to be its own con in and of itself. The, ultimately, we, yes. are, we are just as much the rubes. So the whole setup for this is that there's a judge that she knows that she ended up going to the show with that is friends of her father who died or whatever. Right. It's a very, very influential judge. Him and his wife, played by Mary Steenburgen, had a son who was in World War I, and he was killed in Europe when the Americans right. were, were in World War I. He she, he wanted him to enlist. She didn't want him to enlist. So she is her entire life revolves around her grief for her son. That's it. That's all she that's all she exists for is to grieve her son. And he is invited by the judge. This is where it gets really fucked for him. He is invited by the judge to come to his house for a private reading to a do seance, a spook show. To, to do, do a, a spook, spook show. show. Right. She, Rudy Mara is like. No, don't do that. Like everyone's like, everyone is like, don't do the spook show. They dish, they know you can't get that personal. And he's like, all he sees is dollar signs. He thinks he's amazing. His shit doesn't stink. He sees that he can make a ton of money off this judge and his wife. And he goes and does the show. He do, goes and does the reading. And you think, okay, well, that went well. Like he actually communes and is just like, oh, you know, don't, we'll be ready, we'll be reunited in the afterlife. Don't worry about this life. Just live your life. And when the time comes, we'll all be reunited. It's okay. So, on one level, you think, okay, what's the harm in that? What's the, what's in the harm of parapsychology and ghost hunters? If they're, if they're like, if they're telling someone's loved ones that has died, it's okay. Yeah. We're providing comfort. Yeah. You think in one way you're providing comfort, but this scene comes back around later in the movie in a really fucking dark way. So shocking. I was not expecting it. Like I'm laughing because it's so shocking. It's not because it's a funny scene. It's just like, holy shit. Like we'll get there in a minute because it sets up the rest of this. There's a huge downward spiral. That's on the same level as Requiem for a dream. As far as we have to go, we have to touch on one other thing too, before we even get there, but finish your thought and then I'll say it. Go ahead. Go ahead. So he does the spook show with the judge. This is the beginning. I mean, there's several scenes that set up the beginning of the end. This is really the point. The point of no return is about to come, but this is kind of the inciting incident of the point of no return. So he's done the spook show. He's done a spook show. He can't get enough of it. He wants more money. He goes to Kate Blanchett and says, look, you know, you're a psychiatrist. You're connected with people in this city. Right. I, I want I want the dirt on all these people so I can do spook shows for them and make a ton of money. She doesn't even give a shit about the money or she's pretending that she doesn't care about the money. He said, I'll split it with you 50 50. And yeah, talk she, about the safe. The safe is important. She has a safe in her office. He says, I will stash all the money in your safe. And if you want, if you change your mind and you want half of it, it's yours. If not, I'll take it all. An illusion of trust. It's an an illusion illusion of of trust. It's a con man scheme. It's absolutely a con man scheme. But she's conning him, too, by going, I don't really want any of the money. But she's keeping it in her safe. So you're like, you fucking idiot. Like, (laughs) you know, she is. I I want to jump in here real quick. Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Finish your thought. Finish your last thought. She is literally like a lioness. And she's got her. 
she's got her jaws wide open and his his head is in her mouth and he's like so you know you should probably listen to everything i say and do because i'm fucking amazing while he's got a lioness's jaws around his head he doesn't even fucking realize it it's Kate Blanchett is terrifying in this movie in so many different ways. She is my favorite actress on the planet right now. And she has been for a long time. She's, she's great. And she's great. And don't look up, which is its own. Yes. Uh, insane. Did you see it? Yes, I watched it. It was funny. It was funny. I felt it, 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 killed, it, it killed me, dude. It, it like actually killed me. Like I was I was having a panic attack when I was watching it. it just, I felt it, it wasn't as funny as it should have been because of everything that's happened recently. And it the more satire just, is cutting. It's cutting satire. It, it, it's, it's so sharp. It, it's more just this. This is accurate, basically. Just like this is accurate. Yeah. This is absolutely accurate. But yeah, it was. I liked yeah. it. So. Real quick, just to touch on a couple of small details that are incredibly important uh, as Nathan is weaving. There's so much stuff to remember, and I'm so afraid that we're going to forget some crucial element that's so, like, delicious to pour over. So one element of technology that's very, like, in integral to the story. I remember watching the, the 47 film and thinking, wow, that must that was something back then. In the 47 film... Uh, uh, there was an element of technology that was really like uh, it was a it was a fulcrum of the plot was the dictaphone. She has a dictaphone in her office. She's capable. Uh, the therapist is capable of recording her therapist, her therapy conversations. And she keeps records of all. She has recordings of all of these conversations, a.k.a. the dirt that Nathan is uh, um, referring to. And so. Nathan and she plays she he plays right into her hands he's at, he's so desperately wants this information and the the fact that that it's on a, a recording allows her to reluctantly to be reluctant in order to further the con knowing full well that he can still get the information that he needs to continue his con without her having to give it to him because it's on the recording and so this becomes like a whole little subplot, like a teeny little subplot of like he's got to get the recordings out of the office in order to find out what he needs to know for his next mark. That's very important. The other thing I wanted to say, and this is super important, is she, as Nathan said, she starts to take him apart or tries to. She's trying to take him apart and he's trying to keep a wall up and you know she's she's slowly wearing him down and she is she is a lioness she he doesn't realize that she is toying with she's like a cat toying with her food before she's going to eat it you know what i mean she's just so he just doesn't even understand the danger that he's in and she's all just in the way that she was very like so she took it personal it got under her 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 skin when he was able to accurately predict her relationship with her mother or something in, in, in his pseudoscience breakdown, he's his two bit psychology versus her master's he, psychology. Yes. He did it in a way though, that was condescending to try to dig it. Very in her, condescending. Yes. To dig it at the dagger in her side to go, fuck you. I know what right. I'm doing instead right. of, instead of doing it in a nicer way and being like, Hey, you know, that's what sealed his fate with her is that he was being a dick about it the entire time after you she might, challenged you him. You might be right. And what happens is the, this is huge. He, she offers him a drink and he says, I never drink. 
Mm-hmm. He and says that to everybody gets, who offers him a drink. Because... Right, right, right. I see. I wasn't picking up on that. I didn't even notice it earlier in the film. I, now I want to go back and rewatch. But he is he he is very prideful in declining uh, liquor and that he has never touched the stuff. And she pulls at that like a thread. And it's like it's like, you know what it is? It is the thread on the sleeve of a sweater, of a knitted sweater. Absolutely. And she just pulls on it and pulls on it and pulls on it, finds his weakness. And he thinks he's being superior by saying that. I don't touch the stuff. I don't. Right. I'm not weak enough to drink right. like my dad did or whatever. Instead of just right. going, instead of just going, if he was smarter, he would have said, no thanks. I'm okay. no, thanks. no yeah. thanks. Or he'd take the drink and just put it aside or whatever. That's she says what, that. She says that too. She yes, says, you absolutely. could have just, you didn't have to tell me that you never touch the stuff or that you don't drink. You could have just taken the drink and just put it on the table. I wouldn't have even thought about, I wouldn't have even thought about it, but mm-hmm. you made such a big deal about it. Yep. And that's when we learned that his father was mm-hmm. a drunk and that he hated his father. We slowly learned that he hated his father. That's why he let his father die. Let's his father die in the cruelest way you could let your father he die. Lets a, his he life. lets his father freeze. He takes all the blankets off his dad and opens the windows during the winter time. He puts them on himself. He, and he puts them on himself, himself and watches his dad die and then like, and then buries freeze. him in the house and sets it on fire. Like it's super right. fucked up. Like So basically what he's doing is he's taking not only his former life, it's a it's symbolic of his life. His father's house, like you know, when we think mm-hmm. of like your coat of arms, like your your house of house of uh, Stark, house of yes. Baratheon, house of Targaryen. He takes his, he burns down his house. He bur- he kills his father, and uh, sort of uh, uh, sets out to make his own sort of thing. And what happens is, w- there's a reason why he doesn't drink because the drink is a weakness for him. It is, yes. uh, it is his, what's it called? Um, Achilles heel. It's his Achilles heel. And, you but know, he's, 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 he's directing attention towards his Achilles heel by saying that. Right. Because he is, he, he hubris. He might as well have a shirt that says I am hubris. That's what it is. Pure he walks hubris. around thinking that he's the smartest person in the room and everybody is reading him. Like she is just reading him like a book. He is more hubris than Phil Hartman in Jingle All the Way. Yes, absolutely. Way to bring it back around. (laughs) Jingle All the Alley. Uh, Nightmare Jingle Alley. Um, Nightmare Jingle Alley. But yeah, he's just, he's very, he is, he is, uh, he he just, he's so, and, and she sees that. And as he does more cons and, you know, Molly, Molly wants to leave or she does leave or she's slowly getting to leave. We're, We're closing in on the end here. Molly, Molly wants to leave. And she eventually, you know, they start sleeping together. Him and Kate Blanchett start sleeping together. And he does the first con successfully. And here's the other thing that I want to compare to the alcoholism that is dormant in his body, in his blood. The alcoholism is dormant. That's what they say. It lies dormant. That's why abstinence is important in the realm of sobriety. If you remain abstinent, then the poison can't poison you and you can't become you, you, your walls won't come down. You, you, you won't lose your power as long as you don't take a drink. And that that's the Achilles heel, but the addiction, the alcoholism manifests itself in money. He's addicted to making money. That's his alcoholism. So he chases the dollar instead of chasing the drink. And when he gets that, money from the spook show with the with the judge he is intoxicated and he it it it's so intoxicating that he begins to drink and 
lets once he lets the drink in, he seals his doom. He because the takes drink, the drink. He takes a drink right, right in front of Kate Blanchett, like almost defiantly. Right. He takes a right. drink because he thinks to show that, that he's strong. He wants he thinks, her to see that he's strong. Exactly. He thinks that he's got her and he has nothing to worry about. And he's kind of letting his guard down a little bit with this woman. And what I just realized, I don't know, maybe this is a crazy theory. I feel like the relationship between Stanton and what Kate, what's Kate Blanchett's character's name? I, I want to refer uh, to her properly. Lilith, Lilith. Her name's Lilith. Dr. Lilith. Lilith. Perfect name. Right. So the relationship between Lilith and Stanton, it, it's almost like they're using gender roles, opposite gender roles against each other because. Oh, profound. The usually like Lilith. I mean, the psychiatrist is usually, you know, not all, not especially not today, but back then it was a man. Very analytical, right. very pragmatic, very just mm-hmm. straight down the line, clinical. Freud, Freud. And women, you know, kind of have that are known for that having an intuition and being being empathetic towards and being able to pick up on cues and signals of people, you know, and they're but they're using it against each other in a warped way right. and, and kind of in reverse. So I thought mm-hmm. that was that was pretty, pretty clever on that, too. That, that probably goes back to the novel, not just the movies, too. Um, I thought that was pretty clever. And I like that kind of interplay. Um, so from there, and you said he becomes intoxicated and this is where we really get into the dire straits of things because he's like, I want more. And she goes, a guy named Ezra Grindle has requested your services. And she, he's like, great. He's like, she introduces it. She's the one. She introduces it. No, no, no. Forget it. Forget it. She's conning him. She, yep. Because she knows this guy's bad news. This guy is an industrialist, millionaire, yeah. gangster. I mean, he's just bad business. Who's the paper and, man that 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 buried Orson Welles uh, because of he made because he made uh, uh, Citizen uh, Kane? Uh, Hurst. 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 William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. He, he is like he is like a uh, an even uh, eviler version of Hearst. He's like this evil, evil man that is worth more money than God. And I love that Richard Jenkins plays him because you think of Richard yeah. Jenkins and you think, oh, he's, you know, everybody's uncle, you know, like oh, he's, he's just so a good, sweet guy. But he comes across so as good. very mild on the surface. But underneath, there's this darkness and it shows, you know, sometimes terrifying. Like, this, this guy is fucking evil, like really bad. And she even goes, you know, she's the one who off, you know offers it to him just, you know. But she even goes, you know, you might want to steer clear of this one. He's he's bad news. She's Machiavellian. Is she's what she fucking is. with him. Absolutely. I just had deja vu. I feel like I've had this conversation before. This is that was weird. <laughs> Maybe we've had this conversation in another no, dimension. You're in Jeff. the Matrix. You're so in the Matrix. We're in the Matrix. Um, so, yeah. So she's like, I don't know. You should probably shouldn't go see this guy. It's probably bad news. And he's like, no, just now he's dirt. white on rice. As soon yeah. as she says that, because that's the yeah. carny. That yeah. is the carny challenge yes. of him. Like you, what you're telling me? I can't. I shouldn't do this. I'm definitely gonna do it. She hears him. She goes to the. That's when she goes to the bathroom to wash up. She leaves him open. She leaves him uh, uh, by himself because she knows he's gonna try and break in. Will get a copy of the, of the, um, of the 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 recording. Yeah. But what yeah. what she's doing with the judges? She's showing him how he how she wants him to do it with with uh with Ezra Grindle. Yeah. So, so that's a warm up. That's almost the that's the beginning of the con is she's like here's my recordings. 
Uh, I want you to take note on the recordings of the dirt. So she basically lays out everything that he needs in order to do the Grindel thing. But when she introduces Grindel, that's when, as you said, she rescinds her offer, becomes reluctant, and she knows he's going to do it anyway. Yep, now, she's got what, him. Now, how, when do we first start to realize that Grindel is serious business? What, what, what happens? He makes Stanton take a polygraph test. And apparently, so, okay, this is, Grindel has a very sordid past, he had a wife, a lover, that died early in childbirth. Um, he has been feeling guilty about that ever since. So he has been cons- apparently he is no been no no con- correction not a wife that was a teenage mistress a teenage mistress okay. something like that it was not that was, that was not his wife that was a girl who she he ran off into yeah yes she ran off with him and pressured into miscarrying and she died during the miscarriage. And he's yeah. been feeling guilty about that particular uh, girl since for a while now. And he's an old man now and eating he, him away at side, just he killing him has been consulting quote unquote psychics and mediums to try to commune with her to say he's sorry or to get closure or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he just finds out that they're all fake. Like he's, you know, kind of a James Randi kind of just finding out that they, they're all fake charlatans. So he, he hears about this guy doing a spook show for the judge and thinking, oh, well, he's communing with I got to find out if this guy is real. So he invites him to his office building or whatever, and he makes Stanton take a polygraph test. And that's when we see Holtz, Holtz McCallany Holt, Holt from Mind Anderson. Yeah. yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. He's in great a ton guy. of stuff and he's great. Great. He, yes, he's absolutely. A, he's kind of like a button man enforcer. He's an enf- he's a fixer. He's a he's fixer 100% for, uh, skeptical of Stanton. He he can his yeah. bullshit detector buries the needle as soon as he meets Stanton. He knows. Yeah, he he knows. He he, he has his own he's able to read people but from like a mobster or like a fixer yeah. perspective, you know? Yeah, he so. just knows that this guy is full of shit. And when the polygraph starts, he is full of shit. You see totally. it go boop, 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 boop. Like, can and you, it's can a you, great moment. GDT and, just like yes. fucks with us so hard. Can you commute like, with the dead? And it goes, the, the needle goes crazy. You're like, oh shit, he's fucked. And then he calms himself because he knows after two questions, he's fucking this up. So he calms himself. He centers himself. He concentrates on what he's learned. And then he goes into mentalist mode in the fucking polygraph. I see. I read that scene a little bit differently. And again, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I thought that he was getting panicked. And in an act of desperation, he starts to reveal his secret weapon, which is the information that he's gleaned. And that's that's (laughs) because he because he knows that that is true. He knows that's what you're right. Yeah, Yeah. that's part of it. Absolutely. Um, So he calms down. That calms him down. And they, they see that he knows things that nobody else could know. Yeah, and it scares the shit out of Grindel. And right. he's like, he's like, well, how the fuck did he know that? Like, what the fuck? So he thinks that, right. oh, this guy's, he thinks, he thinks this the guy poly, could, poly tester is broken, maybe even. Yeah, he thinks this guy could be the real deal. So right. he goes forward. He's like, $10,000 a session. I'll, uh, you know, until we get closure. $10,000 a session in 1941. That's a fuck ton of money. That's probably what. Keep talking. I'm going to find. I'm, I'm going to do the thing. I'll do the math right now. Keep keep going. I'm 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 going on Google. Keep keep that uh, telling something. That is there. an absolute ton of money. And when you're when we meet Grindel, you know right away that this guy 
this guy's going to kill him if he fucks up. And the whole time you're like, don't do it. Don't do the spook show. He tells Molly what's going on. And he's just, I just basically, he's saying, you know, just stick with me for this. And then when this is done, we'll just go somewhere else. And real quick, we'll have... real quick, the inflation of $10,000 in 1941 is $189,000. That's insane. And he has at least session. three. He has at least three sessions or so with this guy right. in the movie. So he's making three, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars just insane. Yeah, something like that. You know, made over a half a million dollars. Yeah, more more money than he ever needs for the rest of his life. Yeah, life Absolutely. life changing money, but it's still not enough. It's still not enough for him because it's all about the show too, and it's the it's right. It's the skill of being able to carny yeah, it up on the, somebody the con. well here's the thing he he asked for the he and this is again why you don't do the spook show because now here he is involved with an incredibly dangerous man and the stakes get amped up even further when we see kate blanchett and it's never as you said gdt he does not hold our hand we never understand exactly what happened it's all implied kate blanchett dr lilith shows us that she has been gutted like a fish in the past. Like she has this long scar running across, you know, long ways in her body as if she had been autopsied, like that kind of scar. Yes. And, and, you know, uh, we, we, someone hurt her really she'd bad. Been, she's been tortured or she's been punished for something. Right. And so is we it, learn. Is it Grindel? Who, who the fuck knows who it it's, is? It's heavily implied that it could be Grindel. And, Grindel begins, so we see how dangerous Grindel, this informs us how dangerous he is, and then Grindel starts asking for the impossible. He wants to actually see her. He wants, I want to see her, I want to talk to her, I just want to see her. And the hubris, the 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 the, the mental, the, the, the cloudy mental um, gymnastics that Bradley Cooper, that Stan has to do in his head, to think that maybe I could just show her and just, and that he'll be satisfied. No. And no, no, he is not. And so, as you said, it's right. It becomes a challenge. He wants, not only does he want the money, but he needs to prove to himself. He needs to prove to Dr. Lilith. He needs to show everybody. He needs to show Molly. He has to show everybody that he can do the, this, this final caper. For all the even, marbles. Even though Molly is done with him at this point. She She's has, done. She's she out the door. Completely checked out. And I like yeah. the fact that they did not kill Molly off in this movie or anything like that. Where like Me too. At the at the at the pivotal scene where she's killed, she's fridged basically or whatever. She's probably the smartest character in this movie after she ends up with Bradley Cooper because she realizes all of this is it's just all bullshit. There's a right. nice there's a nice scene where she calls up the circus or circus friends and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm just checking on you. I miss you guys. And then Stanton comes home to their apartment in a hotel or whatever. And Ron Perlman, the, the little guy and um, Tony Collette are there and they're having a right. bit of a, like a room party. They're just visiting with they're Molly. Just reminiscing. Yeah. With Molly. And, and they know, like they know that this guy is bad news, even yep. though, because there, there's a scene where they find out that they're that he's sweet on her at the circus, and Ron Perlman like beats the shit out of him, 
And yeah. she's Rooney Mars like, stop. I love him. Very, very protective of her because and, of the, the connection with the father. And they kind of stop because they realize it's her choice. So right. they're like, all right, whatever. They're they're in love. But you can tell there's a trepidation. There's a bit of an awkwardness in the room when he comes home because they know that he's probably doing the spook show. He's probably doing something yep. he's not supposed to be doing. And it's it's a weird it's kind of a sad scene because very, you know, they're all they've, they've been split up. A family has been split up. And even it's later the last on, time that they're all going to be together. It's the last time they're all going to be together. And Tony Collette knows that he's up to no good. She knows better than anyone else. She does his tarot. She does yeah, the tarot. And, absolutely. It, and, and she says, you know, it's funny. She does the tarot and we get the final warning. Don't do the spook show mm-hmm. based on what the cards say. And he ignores it. Which brings us to Molly. Molly is leaving. She's ready to go. There's a whole thing. I, I don't want to, we don't have to go into this, but there's a whole thing. Basically, he gets his, he figures out the perfect way to do the illusion of the, of, of the, uh, of the ghost to show the ghost of the girl in mm-hmm. one of these giant courtyards. So he goes to Molly, says, Molly, I need you to do this one last thing. Please just help me and we'll be gone or help me and then you could go some, one of those two things. And she says something. So profound. And this is this ties back to electricity. She says, um, she says, look, when I was doing that electricity stuff, I would know when I've had too much. Exactly. And this is where we learn. Right. And she says, that's exactly what this feels like right now. It basically saying, I feel like I'm being electrocuted, just being in your presence. Like I've had enough. Yeah. I've had enough. She's saying it's a very powerful moment because a, it reveal, it informs the earlier scene and B it, it just really drives the point home of what Stan has become and how she realizes that she deserves better than this. It's her moment of integrity for her character. And she leaves. She well, was all she was quite. all in on him in the beginning. She thought right. he was charming and that they were going to they're young lovers and that they're going to have a great life together. She was all in on it. She wanted to have a happy life with Stanton. Stanton had other designs. Right. He had delusions of grandeur. He wanted more. He wanted oh, more. Yeah. He wanted more. He needed an accomplice, a prop of a person to use to get to where he needed to go. It was inconsequential who it was. It just happened to be Molly. She and figures she, out. She figures out that he's banging Dr. Lilith because yeah, of the sketchbook. There's a sketch. He has a sketchbook. He he sketched Molly. That's probably one of the reasons why she was into him in the beginning. And, you know, he sketched Cage Blanchett, which was a mistake. And as you sh- said, it shows that he said. has let his guard down and is actually kind of in love with this woman or at least infatuated with her and has let his guard down. And she is doing the opposite and is just fucking this guy over left and right and And as you said as you said too um that he's one of those types of guys that wants to be with everybody or has like a a game for everybody like he's interested and he chews you up and spits you out and she realizes that she's just a page in his journal and that dr lilith is the new page in the journal so she's that's what causes her to leave in the first place he convinces her to stay we come to the night of the final the final night the big take that when when they're supposed to um, do the thing. He has this all planned out. And right when she appears as the ghost, we, I don't know if we mentioned this, but long story short, she's supposed to appear as the ghost of. In of, the same dress that she was wearing when she died. Right. Cause they have pictures of her. They have pictures of Dory. I, I think when she was dead, I guess a sketch right. of, of when, or a photo of when 
in her from funeral dress from 1908 or, or whatever yeah so there's blood in her crotch there's blood on her hands and she's in this white dress and she's supposed to just appear in the courtyard it's dark it's snowy and she's just supposed to appear and they think that he's and gonna you're try vulnerable the grinch yeah. is vulnerable he's his mind is so he is so intoxicated in his own way that his mind is going to sort of glaze over anything that doesn't seem right because he so desperately wants the truth to be real. Uh, he's gotten to the point, excuse me. Oh, it's past my bedtime. He's I gotten know, to we... the point that uh, he has, uh, he he's allowing anything else to happen to be whatever because he right. feels that Stanton has passed his bullshit test. So right. now he just wants to believe whatever happens. He's happens. like, I'm just going to pay you money. They, they start hanging out. He believes in him. And, and he's going, look, I want to see her. And that's when he gets really pushy. And so Stan's like, all right, I'll give the guy what he wants. So they do the thing. They, they go through the whole they go through the whole rigmarole. Right. And just as just as they're do just as they're getting to the point where she's going to reveal herself the, the, as an apparition to to uh, to Grindle um, Anderson, the uh, the fixer, he's inside. He hears about the suicide. Oop, shouldn't have said that word on YouTube. He, she hears about the 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 murder the murder and death of yes. the judge and Mrs. Kimball and Judge Kimball and what happens is they they um that triggers him oh something's not right so he runs back out because because Grindle says hey Anderson go take a load off while we do this thing he's like are you sure boss yeah. are yeah. you sure boss I'm gonna I'm, I don't know about this guy he's like no it's fine yeah and. And this is when he Grindel also confesses the wrong thing to Stan. It's so, it's so awful and so it's oogie. really bad. It's really so, bad. So, like, let's let's just mention real quick that Stan is so into himself and has so much hubris at this point that he doesn't think he's like I'm going to get Grindel to get down on his knees and and pray right. or whatever, ask for absolution. Never once does it occur to him that if you see the ghost of your loved one, you would actually try to run up to and embrace him because that's what you do when you see a loved one you haven't seen in a while. You want to embrace them, whether they're not they're a ghost or not. So the fact that he either didn't account for this or didn't think it was going to happen is part of him being so intoxicated with like being a high on himself, being a mark for himself, basically. And that's where it all goes wrong is because Grindel sees her and is just so overcome with emotion that he does not get down on his knees and, and pray or whatever. He races toward her and And grabs grabs her. her. And he's like, what the fuck? You're not, you're not Dory. What is this? And sees the fake blood and sees that it's not her really up close. And he hits her. And he was like, I'm going to like, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to fucking kill you. But to get back to the thing right before she shows up. Right. He, yeah. Thank he, you. He confesses to Stanton that he is a serial killer. Basically, he has abused and killed and hurt, raped women, multiple, multiple women. He's a bad dude who's done He's some an bad things. Awful person who has just done terrible things to young girls. And, we, and then all of a sudden we then connect back to the giant scar we see on Dr. Lilith. And though it's never told to us, yep. you put two and two together, even more so the giant scar does suggest something rather unpleasant. Do, do you, do you know where I'm going? 
Well, let's this... talk. Let, let's talk about Enoch because we haven't even mentioned Enoch, and I think this kind of ties around. Remember the fetus in the jar with the eye that's been in implanted. Yeah, I in was trying to figure out why there was so much emphasis on Enoch, and I could not put that together. Please, go, you let's have the talk floor. About go this. ahead. Because go when ahead. when you go, when you go to a freak show or you go to a sideshow, they'll have things that really aren't. You know, there's this big fat baby fetus in a jar. It's very off-putting to see, but it's clear. Someone has clearly cut up its forehead and implanted a big eyeball right in the middle of its forehead. Cause you can see the stitching and the scarring right there. So it's clearly put in after the baby has died to make it look like the baby was born with a oh, third eye. I, yeah. I was wondering what the scene was. <laughs> and I thought that, so that, that was a bolt. That was a BS story. That wasn't a true story. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like relics back in the day when they would say, Oh, this relic is the, you know, holds the blood of Peter, the, you know, yeah. Saint Peter or whatever. It's all yeah. bullshit. You know, it's just to bring in the rubes because there was one time when I lived in Arizona, there was, um, they would have all kinds of weird sideshow freak shows out in the desert. And there was one called see the thing, you know, five months, 10, 50 miles away, 10 miles away. Fuck. Yeah. See, what is <laughs> right. the, th what is the thing? And I lived there for so long. I was like, we're going to go see the story. thing. That's a good short film. So we go there and it's got a bunch of other stuff. It's like a museum and shit right. and a gift shop. But you actually go to see the thing and it's, you don't even know what the fuck it is. It's a shriveled up. They want you to think it's like a chupacabra or something, but it's just a shriveled up animal. And it's so unimpressive. And it's just like, well, this could be anything. It's just carcass, you know, like. It just looks weird. So you're like, maybe this is a thing or a monster. Before Rotten.com. Before yeah. Rotten.com, that's what you would do. You'd go Absolutely. to a freak show. That's how yes. you saw messed up stuff, you know? So it's all fabricated. And 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 Willem Dafoe kind of introduces Enoch, you know, this right. this baby, this baby tore itself out of its mother and killed the mother. And right. you know, the eye follows you around wherever you go, like a painting. And it and it kind of goes back to like the death of I don't know the death of of a parent the, it, it, that definitely ties into it where it's like it's this albatross like a child a creation is an albatross basically of of you know young people youth is kind of they're kind of like a burden to old people because I think I think older people feel threatened by younger people especially in this society where we hold so much value over young people as opposed to like especially like in Japan the elderly are more prized than the youth. Oh yeah. They're venerated here, and taken care of. Yeah. You know, here, once you turn 40, you're a fucking fossil. You're senile. <laughs> know, like young people rule this country and it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with young people, but it's a little disconcerting. to you know, people think that when you get to a certain age, you're just completely useless. And it's, it's, it's weird. And I think that kind of all ties into it Question. a little bit. Question. Does, is the geek an Enoch? Yeah. I think mm. so. Interesting. Because Interesting. we, okay, we get to the whole thing where, because I want to talk about the end. The end is my favorite. Yeah, we have to, I we have, to, I mean, that is like, oh God, yeah. So we hear about the murder-suicide. His assistant, Holt McCallany, runs out and and this is after Grindel finds out that Renimar is not the ghost. And he's like, I'm going to, he turns to Stan, he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to destroy you. Right. And he, uh, he, I don't know what. Oh yeah, he. Stan, um, no, no. Stan caves in 
Grindel's nose. I mean, he just beats the beats Stan, him to a yeah. pulp. And Stan just realizes he's he's fucked, so he's got to yeah. kill this guy. So he beats the shit out of. Richard I Jenkins. mean, not like it's that's not even that's such an understatement yeah. for what he, he does. He caves, he his caves face in his face. Like his nose is it. gone. It's dented yeah. in, and Rudy Mars like, "What? What are you doing? Like you're right. a crazy man!" And so they're like, "Get in the car." So they go to the car, and Hope McKelvey comes out, starts shooting at him. He right. backs up, hits him, just and runs then runs over, over him again, and another brutal gore scene where he just takes his head off basically as he drives over him the violence is so visceral the violence in this movie is not a ton of it but when it happens it is so shocking and brutal which i prefer in a weird like listen every every type of violence has its place and that's not to say one type of violence is better than another but there is something so uh elevated i should say yeah to just not always giving it to us, but when you do, you give it good. You and that's good. what this and that's what this movie does. And Del Toro gives it good. He is not yeah. fucking around with this violence in this movie. It's right. a lot like Pan's Labyrinth when you the violence in Pan's yes. Labyrinth yes. centered around the captain and yep. what what he's doing to his victims and everything. It's just brutal. You're so it's, right. You know. Um, so they get away, they kill both both those guys, they get away. She leaves. She's like, I'm well, he starts I'm smashing done. up the car. Yeah. Like, like, oh, this is just part of the plan. Yeah, let's just smash up the car and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, She's yeah. like, I'm not, I don't want, I'm done with you. I'm out I'm of leaving. here. I don't want, I don't want any part of this anymore. I'm yeah. gone. So she's gone. He's left alone. He goes back. Gone to, from the film. That's her. That's where that's she it. leaves. She's done. Great. She leaves. Good, and good, good. Her. she gets out. She's yep. done. Bye. She's hopefully goes on to have a happy life. And right. uh, that's what we hope for her. He has okay, so his job as a mentalist is pretty much done. His wife, I don't know if they're married, his girlfriend. Oh, oh, oh you're forgetting one thing. I left them. What's that? Um, he oh no, I just never mind. I'm I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Keep going, keep going. I, it happens after. Sorry. So he keep hasn't going. hit rock bottom yet, but he's getting there. He's already drinking at this point. He she writes goes, him a letter. She writes a letter saying she I'm writes gone. A letter. Yeah, I'm gone. So uh he uh walks back to um oh that happened earlier actually but the the cops are after him so he walks right he he gets back he makes it back to lilith's office right and this is the scene where she lets him have it just verbally everything 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 that she she has wanted to say to this guy yes she she you are you're just a fucking okie you are you are nobody you think you're the smartest person in the room you are an idiot you know you have nothing going on everybody knows you're a moron basically just paraphrasing and he is just so he's like she gives him the money and it's a bunch of ones on the top and it's a bunch of ones she's rolled it up in a way yeah she's taking the rest of the money she fucked him over so um, she is taking him hook and line and sinker. And he's like, you know, she pulls out the gun, shoots him, gets him in the ear. You know, he he charges her and starts strangling her with a telephone cord. She's called the cops. Yeah. She, yeah. But wait, wait, real quick. She she basically lets lets him know in 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 certain words, you you are you were an easy mark. You were basically. so easy. Exactly. Yeah. I got and, you. Yeah, and then he attacks her. Right, he attacks her, and then boom, Chekhov's gun. We set up the gun. He's so dismissive of her nickel-plated pea yeah. shooter. You, so it's a it's a woman's gun. It's, it's not a, a woman's real gun. gun. It's not. And she says she even goes she, after she shoots him. She goes, "I'm surprised you didn't figure out that the gun was in there by the weight of the 
by the weight of the thing. Thank you, Sardonic. Um, yeah. Like I, I like I'm surprised that you didn't even figure out blah blah blah. blah. You know what I mean? Well, that's like, that's what he says earlier. How he figured out the gun was in the purse. He's like the way you were right. holding it. You were holding it out with your elbow bent. That means there was some mm-hmm. weight to it. And mm-hmm. I figured, oh, it's probably it could be a gun. And I figured, you know, women usually carry smaller guns like a Derringer or, you know, a pop gun like or something exactly. like that. A nickel plated gun. You want protection because you're single. You're living by yourself. So it's probably right, I that. figured yeah. out it's probably a gun nickel plated because you let like, your stylish and all that stuff. So you know, it comes with being a con person. And um, when he leaves, he thinks he's got the money. And he leaves and she goes, because he's going to leave her. Like, he's going to leave her. He's getting out of town. And she goes, but I love you, Stanton. And it was so condescending. But I really do love you. And he goes, oh, shit. That's when he realizes that she has been fucking him all along. Yep. Rolled up ones. And what she shoots him in the ear. She disfigures him. She disfigures him like she's disfigured. And there is a scene where she shows him her scar and he gets down on his knees and starts kissing it. And as if he's accepting, fully accepting of her, she couldn't give a fuck. She was not turned on by it at all. She was just like, I have this guy. He will do whatever I want. You're so right. You're so whatever I want. She, she was not into it at all. She was, by the way, real quick. What is the scar? I asked this question earlier. What is the scar? It looks like a, a autopsy scar right and, and so what here's what i think sorry what do you think go ahead you talk i think that she was ex- she, i don't know if it was a pregnancy thing like i think it was was it an abortion thing what do you think no i think what it was was it was the same it was that was his mo and it was the same thing that happened to dory see that comes around she to got Enoch pregnant. again I, it's right all connected. okay she she got pregnant by him he assaulted her maybe, or they were having a relationship. She got pregnant by him. He ripped out her womb. Sorry to be so graphic, but literally like because she was pregnant either because he's driven to do this over and over again because of what happened with Dory or because he just simply just didn't want it for whatever reason. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know why it's it's Kronos eating his children basically oh it, he, yes he's chronos and he's afraid that any child will usurp him or take so his he fortune. rips so he rips right takes his fortune so he ripped her womb out and her revenge is to use this carny guy who thinks he's so great and is going to use him to ruin she's going to use uh, to ruin grindle because she knows his secrets and so really her revenge is two, really targeted at Grindel. Two birds, one stone. I can right. use the, I can flip this rube and I can get my revenge on this asshole. Which is why she's hanging out at the mentalist thing in the first place. So he is yep. already put himself <laughs> he the moment that he started doing a, the mentalist act in the city and took things to the next level, he had made himself vulnerable and exposed himself to his downfall because he would fall into a crowd of of carnies because isn't that what it is there's always going to be someone who's better than you there's always always going to be someone with a better con there's always a bigger fish you know and 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 he got taken and so she takes the money she disfigures him she fingers him for the thing because she had been recording the sessions with him and has she has everything she has him but she does she records again 
and pretends to be really sad. And then the moment she turns off the recorder, she's like all laughing about it and smiling. Yep. Totally sociopathic. So he escapes. He gets away. He, and he basically yeah he gets sorry, shot ahead. in the, he gets shot in the ear. She yeah. starts she starts going on and going about how he's an idiot. He gets up and attacks her and starts right. He, he takes the phone cord after she's called the cop because she's he's on right, the floor. Right, right. She calls the cops and say mm -hmm. there's a guy in my my trying to trying to kill me. He gets up after she gets off the phone, grabs the telephone cord and tries to strangle her with it, and she starts laughing. She starts, you think you can take my breath away? Like right. such She's a fucking so dig. She is unattracted to him in every way possible because she knows that he's a dickhead. But he's also like, she's been the target of male violence in the exactly. past from Grindle, and she's not he, he this can't is do nothing anything to, to me. hurt her. This is I've been like, looking at my, my scar. Yeah, like my womb was ripped out. You, you think can't do anything me? to me. I have nothing. Right. I've been raped, you know, whatever. I've right. had my so womb it, torn out of me, you know. Yes. So 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 that is done and and he runs away and he basically turns into a hobo and he's the type of hobo that we see he becomes your classic hobo the drink a tramp. that has yeah. the drink that has slowly attached itself to him bit by bit the the has has taken hold so now he doesn't not only cuz what was he before he was a rich drunk man and what happens when you take away man. money and there's what a happens great when exactly you have nothing you know you have then you just you become a drunk man you just become a drunk man and there's a scene he's riding the rails and then he's at a hobo camp and they're all sitting around the fire and right. even in a hobo camp there's rules you have to contribute something you can't just hang out for nothing even if you're poor so you got to give something so they're they're sitting around the fire drinking and he you know he gets a switch two alcohol. years has passed there's some time has passed i think it's been <laughs> yes. two years he just wants a drink and they're like, you need to contribute something or you're out of here. So yeah. the last thing that he has from his life in New York as a rich mentalist is his wristwatch. So he that's takes his off father's his, wristwatch. It's, oh, yeah. That's his father's wristwatch. The last vestige of his humanity is this watch. Right. He takes it off and gives it to them for a drink for a fucking drink. Yep. He gets his drink and that's it. He's full hobo now. He's geek. He's full hobo. And and two things happen. Thing number one, he's got a hole in his shoe and he opens up a newspaper and sees an advertisement for uh uh Tony Collette. That's yes. number one. Zena. Yep, she's right. still out there. And he fills his shoe with it. And two, um, the oh god, what was I gonna say about the being the hobo, being um taking the drink uh the watch oh something i'm trying to remember it was uh it was important to him becoming the hobo oh man it's on the tip of my tongue and now i can't remember what it was it was uh uh hold on hold on it's like it's right there it's right there it's on the tip of my tongue i hate this i hate it when this happens he i'm trying to think of anything that will jog my memory real quick he 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 wakes up it's 2 years later he's got a beard he's a hobo he takes a drink He's got nothing now. Um, what did I say before? Oh, that he was a man who was exposed. Oh, and and this is, I think, what I can't remember. I can't, it'll come back to me. So, so then he comes across a circus, not the same circus. This is a different circus that I thought he, he was looking for the same circus. He was probably looking for it to go back. And he, this is a different circus, but it looks a little familiar. There's a little thing here. There's a little thing here from the other circus. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's, I'm pretty sure it's the same circus. And because he says, he says, he says, Clem isn't, he says, Clem doesn't I, own the, the thing anymore. He says, I got the radio and the and Enoch from another circus that closed down. 
Oh, you're right. You're right. Right. The circus. So, that's what it was. The yeah. circus had closed down. Tim Blake Nelson is basically running. That's the his radio. That's yeah. actually his radio. That's, that's Bradley that's Cooper's his radio. radio that he got it because he sold that radio for like five bucks and a hot yeah. meal to Willem Dafoe to Clem. Yep. So he's looking for work. He's like, yeah, that was an old circuit. I got that stuff from an old because Enoch is in the office, too, just staring at him again, which right. is super fucking creepy. And um, he's back again. You know, Enoch is back in. He's watching him. You know, he's judging him. And uh, he goes, yeah, you know, I don't really have work for you. You know, he gives him the name. He even says, oh, I see you've got Enoch. He goes, Enoch, that's a great name for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Idea. So and, you know, he comes in looking like he's been shit on by an elephant. He looks awful. But then he speaks very well. He goes, you know, I've fallen on some hard times recently. I apologize for my appearance, but I I, I know stuff about being a carny. I've got things, uh, skills and talents that I could be of service to. I'm a mentalist. I'm a mentalist. mentalist. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, mentalism. That's an old time vaudeville shit. You know, yeah, that's don't... out. We don't do mentalism anymore. We want Jerry Springer stuff is basically what he's saying. He wants crazy yeah. shit. And uh, he's like crestfallen because it's like he's worked his entire for this past four years or whatever to do this and it's worth nothing now absolutely nothing and he goes you know please just give me a chance and he's like get the fuck out of here so he's like looks like he's about to cry he turns around yeah. and he leaves Walks and he's like out. he's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you know what we do have one job that you might be good for <laughs> you could have ended the movie right there you but could have end, you could have ended the movie right there and we all would have known and it would have been great and it would have been it just would have been and we know it's coming we know that this is coming but like yeah sorry go ahead that's keep, more of a pt anderson move than anything else but like yeah you go he goes we got one more job for you and he yeah. knows right away it's the geek and he goes yeah we don't really have a full-time geek right now we're looking for a you know so we're looking for one but and he knows what that means. And he's like, but we're looking for, you know, can you fill in to be a temporary geek? You know, we'll pay you, you know, and you'll have a place to sleep and all that and, and whatnot. He says, I can and, give you a bottle. You'll have a yeah. place. Oh, now I remember what it was. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you because I want to remember what it was. When he hops on that train, he cages himself in with chicken yes. crates. Yes. That's when you know what's coming. Because... He actually physically, visually. Yes cages himself in to hide from the police in a cage of chicken crates. I, so, I my jaw hanged. Yeah, sorry, go on. Awesome. So, the foreshadowing of this movie is so delicious. It's an, <laughs> it's, an, so it's an art form. And it's an art form. If you don't know where this is headed by this time after two and a half hours, you might be a moron. So it's the greatest the, punchline. Go ahead. He gets to the end. He, he's not even good enough to be a full-time geek. He's a temporary geek. They're not going to Shanghai him. They're just going to give him <laughs> temporary work to be a geek. You know, he's not crazy enough to be a full-time geek. He's just a failure at everything. And uh, he sits there and goes, he just starts laughing. Like, it's great. He goes, well, what do you think? And it's just, it's just a close-up on Bradley Cooper's face. Yeah. And he just starts laughing, laugh crying. And he's like, Mr. <laughs> I was born for it. <laughs> Right. And that was it. I was and born I for this. just that line. I, I just slinked back to my chair. I want to add, look, we're at the end. We were supposed to go for an hour and a half, but obviously that was impossible. And we got so, through we, the whole movie. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. But it's like, we're, it's a hard, we have to, we were supposed to end 15 minutes ago, but I, I want to thank Nate so much for his time. I, I just what we have to wrap this up. 
Um, but I wanted to just add a little bit of nuance to what Nate just said, the, the ending, getting to the ending. And I again, I want to thank Nate for sticking it through. Uh, I, I wasn't even I was so wrapped up in what we were discussing. I wasn't even looking at the time. I was just so caught up in what we were talking about. Um, the the there's a little bit more nuance to 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 what Nate just broke down for us when the conversation with Willem Dafoe, Clem in the in the kitchen. He literally talks about it's almost like a Carney esque script. Mm -hmm. First, what you do, what it, it's a it's a it's a bit. It's another con. He's probably it's told conning this, the geek. He's told this to other people several times. Right. So, so he routine. goes. Right. So Willem Dafoe explains to Stan over the steak and eggs after they've just ditched the geek. He says, first, what you do is you tell the guy that you got some temporary work. The, the, the whole thing. The whole scripted thing. Uh, and then you say, well, maybe if it works out, you could be the full time geek, yada, yada, yada. What do you say? And what happens is at the very end, Timothy Blake Nelson says the exact same thing word for word that Willem Dafoe describes to Stan earlier in the movie. It is a it is the. It's that it's literally a joke. The movie is a giant joke for the punch. That's, that's how you get them, though. That's how you get your. Geek, right. You know? Except here's the thing. Even though he is he is somewhat gone, like it like Stan is just like a, a shell of himself. He the tears well up in his eyes because he recognizes what that he that this guy is doing, what Clem said. He realizes that he has got sunk so low that he is being conned into being a geek. And instead of saying no, thank you, instead of walking away, he just starts welling up with tears as he accepts his fate because he needs two bottles. This is what he accepts his fate. This is what he's good for now. Just like that. This scene. is what he's good for. This is what he was born for. And he literally says, I was born for this, meaning that he finally, and this is the Oedipus Rex of it all, he finally realizes who he truly is in this world and his purpose and what he was always meant to be and what he was always meant to do, to be the geek. And instead of running away from it, because that's what happens so often in movies, so often in real life, we run away from our the fear of what we are or what we could become. It ha it's, it's the motivation for every character in every movie. And what's so sad and bleak and just devastating about GDT's Nightmare Alley is the, rec the recognition on Bradley Cooper's face as he realizes that he has fallen right into the thing. And instead of walking out and going, man, I should clean up. I should do something. He accepts it and goes, I'm, this is who I was born to be. And in that way, he becomes the Enoch. It, and it comes back around to that scene. We didn't even talk about where he, where he's in Lilith's office, Dr. Lilith's office. And he goes, he goes, uh, he, I know, I know exactly who you are. And she goes, Oh yeah. Well, how, how do you know that? And he goes, it's because you're no good. And, mm. so, and, and I'm no good either. And he knows wow. deep down, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve any of this. He's grasping 
at straws. He's just desperate to hold on to something because he's addicted to the he's addicted to the money because the money is the thing that will separate him from becoming a geek. This will and keep so him from scales. being a geek. Exactly. This, I, he's going to scale the greatest heights that he can in order to not fall down the hole. And this this might be a little too profound, but it's like a creative person who has to create like write or do something, paint, sing. They have to do that or else they'll become a, a regular person. And to that, that dude, that's, that's the perfect. No, that's that, perfect. To, to that, to the, to them, that is terrifying to think about. You know what I mean? I can, I will tell you, I, I will insert myself into what Nate just said. I spent years working as a waiter as I was uh, also trying to make movies and things and be creative. And this is absolutely like my, my truth is that sometimes it, it, on the darkest nights and the worst days and the, in the worst depths and wretches of the Chinese food that I was serving to people I worked in a Chinese restaurant, Chinese food restaurant. And I thought in my head when I was struggling to make my art, that if I failed or if I stopped or if that I gave up, I would be nothing but a waiter. And that doing that creative endeavor was the thing that made me so much more than the job that was bringing me money. And it that's you why alive. it keeps, keeps you alive. alive. It's so that shit is so fucking real. Maybe this movie is a meta commentary on Guillermo del Toro's imposter syndrome as a creator. Ooh, dude! Wait, if, just if if yeah, directors if directors can't make films, <clears throat> they're aren't they just geeks then in their own mind? You know what I mean? <laughs> dude, you just that's it. That's it. Listen, it is super late. It's way yeah. later than I told Nathan this was going to be. We said we were going to do five things that we were going to pick. I'm just, I picked one. Nathan, you pick one. I picked, I want GDT or Peter Jackson to do Freaks. What is your pick for, just give me one pick for for. I GDT. mean, I'm still holding on to Hellboy 3, even though it's probably never going to happen. But uh, you know, never say never as long never as those, say never. As long as Perlman is still alive and yep. Del Toro is still alive. Hey, Snyder Cut. Snyder cut. We never thought we would see the Snyder cut of Justice Although, League. So, Samuel Blair does have MS, so that might make it a problem. Make it, it might be a little hard, but you know, bit we'll, of a we'll bit see. of a problem. But we'll see what happens. We can we can work around that. Um, we'll talk about Kiss another night. I promise. I promise, Minister of Darkness. Kiss was yesterday's topic. Um, but yeah, look, I wanna I wanna wrap this up. This is gonna get us out of here. I wanna thank Nate so much for going through the movie. <laughs> that's right runner style zero he knows he knows it well jeff we went way over time tonight from us uh, it's that's my mo dude i can't not do a two-hour show oh they have to hear the four-hour jingle all the way show that yeah we did, we did a, a four-hour podcast i was about to say well i want to plug a, a, a couple of things first of all check out the genre blast film festival if you like genre films you should head over to genreblast.com or is it genreblastfilmfestival.com genreblast.com yeah, genreblast.com. They do it at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester. We go every year. Well, I haven't been every year, but I've been twice. And it is such a fun time. We it's the meeting of the minds. People who love talking films get to see great Nate and his team. They're great programmers. So check that out. That's number that's thing number one. Thing number two, keep your eyes peeled. Nate is also a producer. He has a writer. He's a writer as well, but he has he has uh produced 
with his team at Genre Blast, they produced a an anthology film about vacation horror called Worst Case Scenario. Worst Laid Plans. It's, uh, worst laid, ah, it's yeah. based on a horror anthology book from Grindhouse right. Press, edited by Samantha Koyesnik. We've taken right. three, or, three or four stories from that and turned it into a horror anthology movie, and it's going to be pretty badass. Right. So that is that is coming out. Keep your eyes peeled for that. And lastly, if you want to see Nate and I talk more or just see Nate tackle other movies from the 90s, check out the Real 96 podcast. I mentioned it at the beginning. You can stream it on Spotify. Um, so check that out. We'll put some links in, in, in the comments of the show. I'm not sure if I did that or not, but we'll make sure to get that in there. Uh, I want to thank Nate so much. Nate, uh, hang on for you know what, Nate, Nate, I'm going to say goodbye now. It's it's late. We'll talk, buddy. We'll talk. I'm going to. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna peace out. We're gonna we're gonna run the Patreon ad. Peace and hair grease. That's what we say here. I'm kicking Nate off. Nate, goodbye. Bye bye, Nate. Boop, he's gone. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, check out the Patreon if you have not. What is the Patreon? You might ask. Let me tell you. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.